I'm recording. All right, wait, wait. Are we doing the bit together, or is it just me who's doing the bit? I think just you should do the bit. I don't okay, fully. Okay, can you do the previously the on then? Just do. You, previously you want me to on. do that? Oh, I want okay. you to do the. Yeah. I just want you to do like the voiceover. You know, the previously oh, okay. on. Okay. That's all. Previously on. Oh shit! <laughs> I you were say the whole title. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um. <laughs> Previously on Looking for the Ocean. Yeah, you know, the Arthur episode of the Car Talk, guys, it's, it's just really the worst. It taught me so many bad lessons, but you know what? I just had to get it out now because they're never going to ever come up again on this podcast. You know, the Car Talk, guys. Yeah. All right, here we are, everybody. Welcome. Whoa. I'm really excited about this session. Yeah, we are here at the Piston Cup. That's where we've arrived today. The Piston Cup. You did what in your cup? But who did what in my cup? Who's with us? Howdy, y'all. It's me, Caleb, from various podcasts. Ah, is, I'm very glad to have you on here. I gotta ask you, do you wanna... Because I don't know how much cross there is. Do you wanna do the intro? You, talk, what? Caleb? Do you oh. want Caleb to do the intro? Can we, like, copy and paste and send it to him? I also yeah. don't know if I like our intro yet. Well, we change it every time, so that's why it's good. Caleb, uh, since we change it every time, if you had to intro our podcast, how would you do it? Hey guys, welcome to Looking for the Ocean, a podcast about looking back at Pixar and our lives around it, and kind of just going on random tangents. I'm not one of the people who's regularly here, so I shouldn't have said we do these things, because I have never done these things. <laughs> that was a good well, job. Well, you don't... You, you, yeah, that, that was that really better good. than ours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Caleb is in charge now. Oh, well, no. I, I have too many responsibilities already. Well, thank you for... You You did... You came in and dropped a... I'm Danny Vincent. Um, I'm, and I'm Mark Young. Uh, Caleb, I know you said you were on other podcasts. You want to talk a bit about your, your podcast in life and if you do anything else? Do you have yeah. any good podcast... Like, any really good podcasting co-hosts? Yeah, I have, I have two really good podcasts. Wait, no. I have more than... <laughs> Sorry, you have, I, you have everyone besides one, probably. I'm guessing. Yes, everyone yeah. besides one. Previous guests, Sarah and Joe, awesome. Um, my uh, good friends, Stephen and Alex, great podcast hosts, and uh, who refused I think that's to do an episode it. about Andor? Um, refused to do an episode of Andor, so I refuse to do an episode about Andor. Uh, yeah, I have, I have what? a lot. Of, <laughs> what? I have a lot. Of, yeah, I've, I've a lot of podcasts. Um, that are mostly pop culture based uh one on comics some on movies i do have one star wars one that danny was alluding to and solely at this point to bother him i'm never going to have an andor episode of that podcast um but yes and i of course uh have a podcast with danny which is called the snub club a film history podcast about the oscars but not really in retrospect i really wish andor had been nominated for several oscars illegally so that way it could qualify for our show Oh, I'll do a Snub Club episode on it. I'm just not going to do the episode that would make sense. <laughs> what was your original reason for not wanting to do Andor? I personally, we only release that podcast once a month. So I don't like it to be about like what's the hip modern thing that's going on because I feel like it almost immediately gets out of date. We did an episode on the first couple episodes of Obi-Wan and I think that that's the most like it's just the episode that doesn't hold up and that no one would ever need to go back and re-listen to. 
Um, mm. So that's part of it. I also like just doing weird, broad topics. Um, my favorite episode we've done is we did one on religion in Star Wars. And I feel like if we only get 12 a year, and three of those are going to be us focusing on movies because we're doing a trilogy a year, I don't want to take up too much time with something well, everyone else is already talking about. Counterpoint, you could just throw out your entire podcast beyond that and just do an episode each month about Andor, and that would take up an entire year. And then Andor Season 2 will come out, and you could do an episode here about that. And then you got two full years covered, and then you can go back to the trilogy stuff. What do you do with the other nine episodes? Uh, it's kind of whatever we want to do. Sometimes we do cover a specific thing, um, although we usually try to have it be a bit of an older thing, so it's something people are already aware of. Um, and then, you know, we do other topics uh, that are a little bit more broad. We have some more improv topics from time to time. I'm really hoping that this year we can find some, we can experiment with it a little bit more and make it a little bit more than just three guys in a room talking maybe get out into the real world a little bit with it. Make it like Billy on the street. Listen, I would love to do that. I did I did kind of float the idea of doing a live show to one of my co-hosts, and he immediately shut it down um, because that's just something he would not enjoy doing. But um, doing something like maybe like a outdoor podcast where we try to get people, like we go to a park and we try to get people on like who are passing by to tell us about their history with star wars like i think that might be fun i, I can't believe listened. those videos i see i i could not imagine editing those things what the billy on the street videos or like no i mean an outdoor <laughs> podcast because i've oh, seen yeah. those things they find people who know how, like hold the mic perfectly and all that and i'm like how much footage do you not use i don't know that probably stresses me out i just listened to before this um a really bad star wars live show podcast so your co-hosts are probably right now the difference is, is if I visited you in Nashville, and then you're like, "Can we do?" A, I was like, "Can we do a live show about Andor?" And you're like, "Yes." Listen, that'd be okay, Danny. If we ever do a podcast about Andor, I you will either be on it or I will make sure your voice is heard. I feel as though <laughs> feel as though I am oh, shit. I'm gonna get. I, I'm I'm kind of sick right now. I gotta find the exact line so I don't sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Start talking about other stuff that won't be too random for me to pop back in with an Andor quote afterward. Oh, man. <laughs> do you want to hear about Magic the Gathering? I burned Heck my yeah, life my to make a sunrise <laughs> that I will never see. There we go. That's all I wanted the, to say. Is, oh, you found Andy Circus. Yeah, I wanted to say the Andy Circus quote. <laughs> Have you watched Andor? Or do you see the gifts? I've just seen memes. Actually, I watched, like, the first half of the first episode. I don't know. Honestly, I'm the worst because I put it on to listen to the dialogue, Wait. and then when they go to that planet where no one's speaking anything, I I was like, I can't listen to Didn't this Didn't you give right me a ton now. of shit last week about subtitles? Yeah, but, like, I'm also, also watching my way through Shoplifters right now. Great so. Ooh, Shoplifters um, is good. But Balanced out. Before we do move on to Magic of the Gathering, I need to correct both myself because I can't be an Andor fan and have this on the record. It was not an Andy Circus line. It was Stella Skarsgård. That I, what I just quoted. Oh, that's a great scene. There. It is a great uh, scene. Here's the thing. Maybe this will make it more frustrating for Danny. Andor is a great show. I think it's top tier Star Wars. First three episodes are kind of hard to get through, but I, I do think it is one of the best things that's been put out uh, by Star Wars in the modern era. Um, but I still won't do an episode on it. Mm -hmm. You won't do an episode on the Last Jedi either, so it's okay. I am kind of dreading that one. 
but I think yeah. you know we haven't we haven't gotten any like super negative feedback yet but I feel like once we do that no matter what we say on that episode th- people are just gonna come for our throats how many listeners do you have regularly on that show uh it hovers depending on the topic uh but between like 40 and 50 dang you should send wow. them our way you should definitely have Mark on if you're not gonna have me on I mean, you don't need to, I'm not super, I don't need to be your, your person with knowledge. I don't know what I would bring to a Star Wars podcast. I mean, I watch them as much as anyone, but I really have fallen off since they put out mostly TV content. Oh yeah, I could talk about my New Year's tradition of watching Attack of the Clones and making pizza, but then I tried to do that this year and I, I didn't. You didn't? Because it was so what? fucking bad. So I was like, I love Attack of the Clones. Attack Holy of the Clones is... Obi-Wan! Chef's kiss. I forget what I did instead. But yeah, I might be over the hill as a Star Wars guest. You know, everyone comes to everything a little bit differently. One of the things I definitely wanted... Like, part of the reason I started a Star Wars podcast was I was so frustrated with how, like, fandom discourse in general and star wars discourse specifically uh was like playing out online and i think part of that is holding space for people who are just done with the franchise like leaving leaving a franchise doesn't have to be like this dramatic or moral statement it can just be hey that was the story that i took for a little bit of time and now i'm moving on to something else mm-hmm. in other news um, when are you guys gonna see ant-man 3 no i'm kidding <laughs> Well, if they if they keep making Jonathan Majors the focus of all those trailers, I'm more inclined to think hey, about seeing it. Why don't you just watch Devotion on Paramount Plus instead, <laughs> or like an actual Johnny Majors movie? Yeah, no, no, I should have called him Johnny Majors. I don't know him like that. He he he's one of those few actors that actually earns my respect because I went to a Q and A with him. And he seemed genuinely very nice. And I know that sounds cheesy to go to a Q and A and be like, "This person seems nice" because it's like literally their job to promote the movie. But like, he seemed very into it and very like calling out people in the audience he thought the moderator was looking over, which also just went viral at Sundance too. So I think it's just something he, you know what I mean? He's just a decent guy. <laughs> yeah, we should I get him on saw, the podcast. <laughs> I saw that clip and I was like, "Is this just what he goes around doing?" <laughs> like, good for him. But it's kind of like every video is like Brendan Fraser was at this show and cried and it's like everyone has their thing that they do and they get that's their genre of short that goes viral i feel like everyone though like i think we, we talked about this a few weeks ago i think everyone goes kind of viral when they get um they cry in an interview you know we're talking about well, when we talk about everything everywhere with michelle yo i mean she went like viral early on because she cried in an interview yeah i think that's because the interview space is like kind of male dominated and it's not expected um yeah but it's always yeah. like sometimes, yeah. You know, it, it depends on the situation, but it is always kind of refreshing when you see someone like genuinely cry. Like I'm not going to see the whale, but I'm glad Brendan is, you know, having like such a rewarding comeback. I would use that to pivot in my topic, but I did interrupt your Magic the Gathering topic, so we can do that. <laughs> oh no, I made it. I made it as a joke about being oh. something really out of left field because Caleb and I were kind of talking about it earlier. I was just saying for. For fun, I'll play some games of Magic the Gathering online, and this past month I got up to a new bracket where I'm like, I'm at a bracket where I'm like pre-pro level, 
So I'm playing people who could possibly play for money as opposed to just playing on the online artificial ladder of people who play Magic. So that was just cool for me uh, since I started playing Magic, which has not been so long before. Long ago, I have never been playing people who were this good and been ranked that highly, totally artificially online myself. So was a little proud of that but I just shared that with Caleb earlier because I thought it was so out of left field we wouldn't come to it in this episode and yet here we are yes well that's not actually what I want to talk about for my week thing this week either but we talk about Brendan I'm very curious about how that went for you I have finished the long discussed Fraser Fawn I am very impressed that I did this, honestly. I feel like whenever I set up like a letterbox thing, it's like, I will do all this in this amount of time. I never do it. But earlier today, I watched The Whale, which means I have seen 16 Brendan Fraser movies this month. And by this month, I mean last month, because this episode comes out in February. Did I say 15? I watched 16. I watched 16. because I You said 16. Okay, good, good. Because it, originally it was a list of 15. I was like, well, The Whale's out, so I just put it on this list to make it 16. Um... Really, I watched 17 because Letterboxd lets you log documentaries, and I did watch the Gods and Monsters DVD documentary, which had Brendan Fraser in it. But let me tell you about Brendan Fraser. One reason, and I kind of alluded to this last week, that I wanted to do this Fraser Fawn. Well, originally I wanted to do it last year because I was worried Taika Waititi was going to be my most watched director of the writer, no, sorry, actor of the year. He wasn't. My most watched actor of the year was Vin Diesel because I watched all the Guardians of the Galaxy shows with Vin Diesel in them. But I think Vin Diesel is more respectful than Taika, weirdly. Like, in the acting realm. Um, so I didn't mind that much. But this year, it was... This time, I was like, well, I definitely want to finish this. Because I know later on this year, we're going to be watching so many shorts with Mater that I don't want Larry the Cable Guy to be my number one actor this year on Letterboxd. So maybe if I put Brendan Fraser so far ahead, he can he can pull it off. Um, so, yeah. Um, what I will say about Brendan Fraser is... Uh, He's a great actor who's not really in a lot of great movies. <laughs> and the reason I say this is um, I noticed that on Letterboxd, and I will say right now, the stat I'm about to give does not include The Whale because I have not logged The Whale yet on Letterboxd. But Letterboxd will show you your the average of, like the average rating you give that film, that, that actor's movies you watched that year, if you watched more. Like later on this year, when I have more than like five actors I've seen more than two films of, Brendan Fraser will be kicked off because he's going to be way too low. But right now, I can tell you the average rating I've given Brendan Fraser movies this year, and that's without The Whale, which I'm giving a one out of five to. Uh, spoiler alert on my take on The Whale. Uh, but Brendan Fraser comes in at 2.3 out of five average. And that's before wow. The Whale is calculated in. So, but... I mean, that makes sense. I was just happened to be reading Willem Dafoe's biography on the train ride back to the apartment and he too is in almost exclusively bad films until very recently in his career I'm not surprised shooting, it's hard to rank shooting shots at Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies here shooting shots at American Psycho shooting shots at Last Temptation of Christ what is this you, you, no you have to you have to realize how much he works and I know, he, grand... he is a working actor. He, is a, yeah. he, he and J.K. Simmons are very much working actors. Yeah, so I'm not surprised about, you know, Brendan Fraser. He was on that career trajectory where he's just working all the time, so he's done a lot of crap. Well, and um, specifically, like, the, the subgenre he found himself in was, like, 
comedic either kids movies or action movies a la the mummy which yeah not the highest batting average it's hard though because he's like perfect for that i'm sure danny you could speak more about this now because but he's really like it's amazing he was molded out of clay to like do this thing which is not super uh well loved i guess but it is such a shame that he never got to play a superhero he is well yeah. he has, he's on he's on doom patrol that's what everyone tells me he's on doom true. patrol true um i and well and he was supposed to play batgirl bad guy person firefly yeah yeah and mm. r.i.p batgirl we'll miss you forever um here's my take on Brendan fraser he is has probably one of the most satisfying screams i've ever heard from any actor in my life whenever he yells it's like great fantastic one of the worst ones i watched was Journey to the Center of the Earth. And let me tell you, the only times I enjoyed that movie was Brendan Fraser was like, ah! <laughs> that was the only time I liked it. I wish I'd watched Furry Vengeance instead because even though I know it's like a terrible movie, I'm sure Brendan Fraser screams more in it because all the animals are attacking him. Um, in a lot of ways, like I was like, Encino Man might be the best one of the best ones I watched because he screams like, for the first half of that movie, he doesn't have any lines. He just goes, ooh! <laughs> and it's like, great, you're so good at this. Um... Mm-hmm. My ever take on Brendan Fraser is, well, first off, well, first let's play a little game. I wanted to play a little game with this first. Is I want you both to open up Brendan Fraser, not my letterbox list for Brendan Fraser. I want you to open up Brendan Fraser's filmography. And I want you to guess. I've given two films a half a star, and I've given two films a certain high star. I want you to guess what the two best Brendan Fraser movies are, and lock in your guess, and then the two worst, and lock in your guess. The one hint I will give which will probably help out Caleb because he follows me on Letterboxd more than you, is that for both of these, only one of them was in the Fraser font. The other one is a leftover movie that I didn't bother rewatching for the Fraser font. Maybe it's mm. just my uh, my love for it, but I have to say The Mummy is probably going to get into the best. Okay, and then what's your other guess? I want you to have your answer. I don't want this to be a guessing game. I want you guys to just lock in your answers. You can give the same answers to lock in, but I want... I'm, you know what I mean? I'm I don't want to be like, no, like, I haven't even seen any of these. I will say, I believe most of these, okay, I would say the pop, the, the good ones are fairly popular on Letterboxd, and I'd say one of the bad ones is popular on Letterboxd, but is also regarded as a bad movie in general. Mm, I'm going to guess the one that was left over, and this is going to be one of the good ones, because I'm pretty sure you like this movie, is Looney Tunes Back in Action. Okay, so those are your two locked in for the... good. For good. Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember which all, what all you saw, because there were a lot of, like, I'm not going to put extraordinary measures on here, because I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it. I didn't watch that. That one wasn't on my list. um, The one that I was most mad about missing was Airheads. That's the one I really wanted to watch. I kept hearing really good things about Airheads. I've got to guess Journey to the Center of the Earth and then the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, for worst. Okay. And then, Mark, lock in yours. I'm going to guess, um... For the best ones, Looney Tunes back in action and Gods and Monsters. And then for worst, which is much more difficult because I am looking at these and I have no idea what some of these are. Or if you even watch them because I think this list I'm looking at goes a little further than the ones that you watched. I'm going to guess the worst are Dudley Do-Right and... All right, I'm going to help you out. I didn't see Dudley. I, if, if you had guessed something I hadn't seen, I will tell you I haven't seen. I haven't seen Dudley Do-Right. 
Okay. So you don't have to guess that. Dudley Do Right is another one I wish I watched more over certain other movies because I'm sure I would have gotten like some 90s enjoyment out of it despite him never watching the movie. Because uh, yeah. that's a movie well, that's totally missed me when growing up. Well, maybe I'm going to, okay, I'll guess one of the worst was Journey to the Center of the Earth. And uh, worst, again, was The Third Mummy. Because I remember you messaging me that it was All bad. Right. So, so I have proof. I will say right now who won. It was Caleb, because he got one out of four right. Ooh, not a good <laughs> bad advantage. Oh, the one you got right was The Mummy. The other great one, which is the one I didn't see in the Fraser Fawn, is No Sudden Move. Mm. The Soderbergh movie. What? He's in that. It's a movie. Yeah, kind of theatrical but I'm surprised. That, in I'm surprised. LA. I, I hear lots of good things about Gods and Monsters, and I'm Gods surprised and you have no love three. for Looney Tunes back in action. Looney Tunes Back in Action is a 3 out of 5 because I showed it to my kids last year when I wasn't on the show Space Jam 2, which, honestly, I probably won on that front. But even then, I was kind of like, eh, this doesn't hold up as much as I thought it would. But then again, it also still comes in 5th place. So, <laughs> that tells you how... And the worst ones are... You guys both got the 3rd to worst and 4th to worst. I think Mummy 3 is worse than Journey to the Sun of the Earth. If you're curious, 5th to worst is The Whale. But the two you missed is the second worst is Crash. Um, oh, I forgot he was in Crash. Yeah, Crash was the one I logged for Letterbox, and the other one, which is one that I told you, you have to open the filmography because I know you're not gonna know he's in this movie unless you see it in his filmography. But it's a Nut Job. Um, so I have the Nut Job on my list. <laughs> I thought I thought you'd have some love for the no, Nut the Job. Is really bad. It does seem like it does seem like a Danny type movie. No, it's not. It's really mm. bad. Um. So the movies I watched were, I'll just give, I'll just run through them really quickly, and you can ask me for my takes on them. And I will also say the ones I'm saying best to worst Brendan Fraser movies right now. And you can pause me or ask me about any when we're done. Up to you. From best to worst goes to The Mummy, No Sudden Move, Gods and Monsters, The Passion of Darkly Noon, Looney Tunes Back in Action, Blast from the Past, The Quiet American. Encino Man. Now, I'm pausing there to point out everything I just listed are the only ones that are three stars or higher. <laughs> everything else is below three stars. Then, next thing yeah. on my list is, because this is the cutoff point, is the Gods and Monsters documentary, whatever. And then it's George of the Jungle, Bedazzled, School Ties, with the Fairly Odd Parents TV movie Wishology, which is a two-hour and 15-minute long Fairly Odd Parents movie, which is too long for that to be. Monkey Bone, The Mummy Returns, The Air I Breathe, and then The Whale Journey Center of the Earth, Mummy 3, Crash, and Nut Job. I will say, one thing I do want to shout out is I actually think the best performance on here, like, the thing that anyone asked me, like, what is the best thing to watch to understand why Brendan Fraser is an interesting actor and actually say Bedazzled, even though it's I gave it a 2.5. Because he plays, like, eight different characters in Bedazzled, um, and he's really oh, good in oh. it. Like, he's really funny in it. All I know about Bedazzled is the poster. It's it's him with a snake and a and some whoever plays the actress in it. What's what's the premise? So the of premise Bedazzled? of Bedazzled is the 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 actual character Brendan Fraser is playing in this movie is so annoying. Um, he's just like a dork nerd who no one likes to talk to, like at his job. And he was like, I want to ask this girl out. I heard she was uh, she's single now. And everyone who like hates him is like, Yeah, go ask her, you fucking nerd. And then he does, and of course he gets like, you know, he fails at it. And then someone, the girl on the poster walks up to him and goes, Hey baby, how's it going? How would you like to go for a ride with me? I don't know why I'm giving her Australian accent because she's British. 
Um, she sounds like Austin Powers. <laughs> that is kind of what she hey, sounds baby. like. She actually is the love. <laughs> it's played by Elizabeth Hurley, this per- who is the love interest in the first Austin Powers. So if you want to get the image of the actress in your mind, it's her. And then she, he's like, she's like, tell you what, I'm the devil, and if you would like to sell your soul to me, I will give you seven wishes that are going to. Well, she doesn't say this, but it's really obvious. They're gonna monkey paw curl over you. And they will change your life for the better, no matter what your wish is. So this movie is really kind of plotless. It's just basically vignettes of the different lives he goes into. Um, but mm. he's really good. In, he's better in the lives he does than his actual, because the main character is so annoying. So it's kind of like, yeah, ruin his life, devil. But it's like, he plays like a Colombian drug lord. and It's like a very 2000s comedy where it's like, ugh. Um, he plays... A seven foot tall um, basketball player at one point, uh, where they do the perspective, the perspective twi- uh, tricks. But it's also like every actor in this movie is playing multiple different roles besides the devil, because all of his coworkers are in all these fantasies. Um, it's just a really fun, like it's a good show. It's a great acting reel. That's what I would say. It's not a good movie, but it's a really good acting reel for Brendan Fraser. I would say probably the best surprise I had out of these that I would recommend to everyone is Blast from the Past. Cause that's that's a fun one. Yeah, it's a nice little rom com. Um, feels very wholesome. It's got. It actually really helped me out the other day on my game. I play. I was telling Mark this. I play this game called Hollywoodle, where it's degrees of bacon between actors, and it was Christopher Walken to Bren, not to Brendan to Matthew Lillard, and I was able to use Blast from the Past, Christopher Walken, Looney Tunes back in action, the Matthew Lillard cameo. <laughs> I've got to ask. I don't know if it'll come up again, but there is nothing redeeming about the whale. Not even okay. like secondary performances or anything. So the thing about the whale is, I think the thing that's the first thing I texted to people after the whale was, it's very weird to see this movie, hate it, give it one out of five, but also be like, you know, the acting Oscar noms are very well warranted though, because Hong Chow is incredible in it. Like she's really fantastic in it, and Fraser is also very good the thing the thing, reason I'm apprehensive about him is because a lot for a lot of the movie I was thinking the phrase Hong Chao innocent Brendan Fraser innocent but then it comes to a moment in the movie where I think it's probably the most emotionally effective moment of the movie that I'm like oh this is great we're gonna like really get like a great moment of acting out of it and then what we get instead is a montage of him eating disgustingly instead and it's just shot with his voyeurism and I'm like no he's not like this is this is gross. Like it, it's not gross. Like because I know a lot of people might be like, "Well, Danny, he, it's supposed to be gross." They're like, "No, it's not. I'm supposed to empathize with this character. We shouldn't be gazing on his obesity as if it's spectacle." That's really it to me. Is that this whole movie is framed as if the spectacle of this movie is you get to see Brendan Fraser in a ludicrously huge fat suit, and that bothers me because I think there is a way to make this movie even with an actor in a fat suit and not make it be voyeuristic. And to be clear, I'm not taking yeah. like I'm not taking a stance of like actors should be in fat suits because I'm sure you could also find an actor who's also like like I'm sure you could get like Paul Walter Hauser in this movie and it works. And I'm not calling Paul Walter Hauser fat. I'm just saying that like he is has a bigger body type, you know. And I think the movie would work. I don't think you need Brennan Fraser in a fat suit for the movie to work. But he's well, also just good. To speak on that. I do think there are, there are some actors who want to reclaim the word fat as just a descriptor of who they are as performers um and just as people i've that's i'm just letting you know that is a thread that i have noticed in the the world of actors i'm aware of um but yeah that was kind of what i 
I have never heard about the whale other anything other than it's like fundamentally wrong-headed from people who have seen the play as well. But that was what I was thinking is like, does Hong Chow finally get to play a non-Hong Chow part? You I mean, know what I, I mean? don't... Remember Hong Chow is... A, my familiarity with Hong Chow... I'd have to look at her letterbox to see if yeah, there's Yeah, it's kind of based else. on my ignorance, too. Um, but, but the like, only Hong Chow movie I know I've seen... Oh, besides the menu, which um, she's great in the menu. When she goes, these are tortillas. That's like <laughs> one of the best line readings of the year. Um, and I know I've seen a lot of people on Twitter be like, just play the tortillas clip as her Oscar clip. And I'm like, yeah, they really should. <laughs> like, I mean, she does have a really great monologue in The Whale. Um, but um, what I was going to say about The Whale is also um, with Hong Chao. No, with Hong Chao, is, I think the only movie of Hong Chao I've seen besides the menu this year is Downsizing, which I think she's both really great in and is also playing a racial stereotype in. Um, she's also she's also in Watchmen. I haven't seen um, yeah. it, but I need to watch it. I, she's great she's Watchmen. Very playing a very similar character, I think, to her character in the menu, just with the power differential changed up. Um with the not with Hong with Hong Chow. No, it's just a fact. Um I was gonna start Poker Face yesterday, um the new Ryan Johnson show that's on Peacock, and I know she's like the main guest star in the second episode. So if we'd recorded this later, I could have talked about her on Poker Face. And she's an inherent vice too. I haven't seen it. I need to, I know. But no, yeah, I need to know if you side with me or Julius. Doesn't you don't like Inherent Vice? I, I judging off what she said, I, it's um, it sounded good. Oh, she's an Artemis Fowl. I guess I've seen her in something. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know what I did think though while watching this, I just saw this because I clicked Hong Chow's page and I see she's in Asteroid City. I was like, man, Brendan Fraser should work with Wes Anderson. I think he has the perfect energy as like a like a lead that's like Ray Fiennes in Grand Budapest Hotel. I think Brendan Fraser could totally kill that. Or he could be like a young Bill Murray. Yeah. That kind of character. Yeah, I just, like, he just needs to, like, that's the thing is, like, and I know he's going to be in Killers of, um, I keep messing up the title, uh, Killers of the Blood Moon, Killers of the Flower Moon, um, but really, honestly, watching this made me like, man, just do a comedy. I'm glad you're back, but find a comedic role to do. Like, the few times, like, because the thing is, the reason his performance works is because he and Hong Chao, their scenes work is because they're both like incredibly close platonic friends and they're able to joke around with each other, which makes the movie not feel as self-serious as it does the rest of it. Because I know there's like a big discourse now about not, and I agree with this, don't go after child actors, but Sadie Sink is now, I believe, in her 20s, her early 20s, so I think it's okay for me to go after her. Her character in this movie and her performance of, I don't, okay, I don't think, here's I think she's terrible in this movie. Because the thing is, I... But I also think the role's terrible. I think you can't even put, like, Thomas and McKenzie or, like, Anya Taylor... Like, young actors I really like in this role. I don't think they'd be able to make it work. But I think... I'll put... This, there's a sequence in this movie where you think this movie is about, you know, Brendan Fraser, um, morbidly obese man who... Um, Wants to reconnect with his. I'm just reading Letterbox. <laughs> the reclusive English teacher suffering from severe obesity attempts to connect, reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter for one last chance of redemption, which is a really funny way to word it. Because that's the whole thing to me is like this movie assumes he needs, like he is not redeemed in our eyes. And to me, it's kind of like uh, as soon as Sadie Sink comes in and just starts like d- annihilating him, like verbally nonstop. I'm like, no, like. He's already punished himself enough. Because that's how the movie frames his obesity. Is he's punished himself to want to be obese after his lover died. 
It's really dumb. It's a really dumb plotline, I think, in the movie. Um, but my point is, there's this other character, and this is why, Caleb, I think you would... I think you'd write I, an interesting review of the whale. The missionary character? <laughs> the missionary character that no one is talking about, who I refer to as... You know, it's really impressive that Sadie Sink comes in, immediately spends all of her dialogue, like, insulting her dad with, like, fat jokes nonstop, basically... And then there's the missionary character who comes off as more of a cartoon character. <laughs> I I just need to do a deep dive, like video essay or letterbox series or something on religion and Aronofsky's films. Because he has this really interesting disconnect with religion where he sees it very... I, I mean, I don't know. It comes off like he sees it just as a narrative tool, um, which I think is kind of refreshing in a lot of ways. I think, though, that but, this movie kind of... I don't want to spoil the final shot of the movie. Or actually, I kind of do, because I don't think you're going to see it. But if I do, Mark will have to put a spoiler warning on it, if that's okay. Because <laughs> I do kind of want to spoil the final shot for you, too. Because it is incredible. It's incredibly dumb. It really is. Is it? Is it like Brendan Fraser is dead, but it looks like every shot in the Matrix where Neo is Jesus? All right, all right. Can I? Can I? Can I just spoil it? And you put a warning on it, like in front of this warning, and then say jump ahead to hear to not hear the ending of the whale. Hey everybody! If you give a fuck about the whale, <laughs> skip this part. All right, all right. So the movie opens. Good evening, everyone. It occurs to me that some of you might give a fuck about the whale. Or some of you might not like spoilers for movies that just came out. If you're one of those people, you can skip ahead to 4224. The movie opens with Brendan Fraser masturbating to porn. Gay porn. I feel like that's the necessary part because I feel like this movie kind of still operates in the headspace of like, you embarrassed me because you're gay. You know, which is also just kind of like, Ugh, why are we still here? Love that. <laughs> well, okay, let me rephrase. I don't think the movie... I don't want to put that reading because I don't think the movie is like that, even though I think the movie is wrong in other ways. I think Sadie Sink's character is so deeply into that, which is weird to me as a 17-year-old girl who hates Christians in 2016. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that whole thing is like, this does not make any sense to me, this, this being a character choice for her. But anyway, um, but anyway, um... He's masturbating to gay porn, and he starts having a heart attack, and that's when the missionary character enters, and he's like, read this essay, read this essay, and the missionary character's like, uh, should I call someone? He goes, no, just read the essay, and so he reads the essay, and you, in the, like, he, Brian Fraser obviously doesn't die in the first scene of this movie, so Brendan Fraser recovers, and the whole movie, I feel like you're led to believe that his lover, um, who died before the movie began, um, and who led to his obesity, um, is the person who wrote the essay because his lover is a former student of his. Um, and what I wanted to say also before I go on is side note about the lover. And I'm sorry to the listeners who have to skip over all this that I'm side noting here, but I was so distracted in the movie because they keep calling him Alan, okay? They keep calling him Alan throughout the movie. And then later on, they find his Bible, which has his name written in it. And his full name is Alan Grant. And I'm just like, okay, I understand that we're in this phase where people say that if we don't remember character names from blockbusters, that means the the blockbuster had no cultural impact. So all to say, I think Darren Aronofsky thinks Jurassic Park has no cultural impact because um, that's Samuel's character in Jurassic Park as Alan Grant. Um, <laughs> I immediately was like, what? 
<laughs> and to be fair, I will say, uh, in all honesty, the only reason I know, because I have a letterbox friend of mine. I didn't remember well, that. I have a so letterbox that, friend of mine who, me. like a real life friend of mine, who his letterbox handle is Alan Grant. So I think that's the only reason I remember his last. I think the only last name I expect people to remember from Jurassic Park is Hammond and maybe Ian Malcolm. But anyway, it took me out of the movie. I recommend. What? I remember Ian Malcolm. What's the final shot? Okay, okay. So, he's reconnecting with his daughter by writing an essay for her. Because she's like, just write my essay for me. She's like, He's like, okay, I just want to hang out with you. Because I'm Brendan Fraser. And I'm going to talk like this because I love you. You're so perfect. Um, and at the end, she comes in, storming in, angry. And she's like, Hong Chao, leave. And Hong Chao leaves the movie. Which is a bummer because I was just like, well, she's gone. So, this movie's probably going to end soon. and Because everything got resolved of her. And she... Uh, He's, she's like, why would you turn in this essay for me? It's terrible. And he's like, why? It's you. And he's like, just read it out loud to me, okay? I'm dying. And she, I don't remember why she does, but she does start reading it out loud. And it's the essay from the beginning of the movie. So it's like, oh, the whole time it was his daughter's essay he held on to. That's not what's dumb. What's dumb is, this is when the first time in the entire movie, Sadie Sink's character starts like showing any form of empathy to her father. So then she walks to him. As he stands up slowly on his walker, and as she reaches in for a hug, Brendan Fraser's feet begin to lift from the ground into the sky. It fades to white, and then it cuts to a flashback of him. But you don't, it's from very far away. You don't see Brendan Fraser out of his makeup, but it's presumably him just standing on the beach with his daughter, like, younger daughter in the front of the frame. And it's like the last time they had a nice time together. And directed by Darren Aronofsky appears. And I'm just like, come on. Like, here's the thing. Not one. It's stupid that he's just flying in the air. Out of no, for no reason at the end of this movie. But two, you can't like cut back to that and not so Brendan Fraser about the prosthetics. That's like what everyone's hoping. Like, I, I mean, it would be a dumb ending anyway. But it's just like, why would you keep that from us? <laughs> But I wanted to bring that up because I feel like it's something where this movie, I think, views his character as a Jesus figure, as evident by him rising up into the sky at the end of the movie. Is that, is that him being Jesus or is that him gaining redemption and like ascending into heaven? I never know with Aronofsky. I never know how how strictly he's adhering to like a type of canon, but which is why I think I should do that religious deep dive on him. Then you have to watch The Whale. Yeah, I know. That's kind of what's holding me back. Well, I, anything else you want to ask me about Brennan Fraser? What uh No, I'm sorry. Hearing you talk about the whale just like put me in a funk. Because it's bad. I'm just like... <laughs> You're like, these movies are... But again, it's... Episodes over. It's in such a weird... It's in such this weird space where it's like, it is a bad movie, but I cannot be mad at Brennan Fraser or Hong Chow getting Oscar nominations because they are both way better than what the script in the script is so didactic and very much like you would know this is a play even if you didn't know it because the only people who are talking like humans are hong chow and brendan fraser and that's just because they know how to deliver these lines in a way that don't sound stilted mm-hmm. well in a film format you know what it's... i mean like I, I don't like you know if you just do played lines in a movie it usually sounds stilted unless you have a good director it's so weird it seems like i i haven't thought too much about it but with darren aronofsky it's like there is this brick wall between you and the characters and it's so like i want to say it's not empathetic but if it's not empathetic i want to say something positive like what is it if it's not empathetic it's voyeuristic which is also not positive 
Yeah, it's where well, I, voyeuristic actually is positive. I'm saying if it's not empathetic, how what's an adjective I can use to describe Aronofsky Belittling? that's like useful in analyzing him? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm thinking I'm thinking about things like, you know, like that. I think I haven't seen Black Swan. Well known. Just so you know, I haven't seen Black Swan. I've seen The Wrestler. Use The Wrestler as your example. Oh well, I actually like The I Wrestler. I like The Wrestler I think too. The Wrestler. The, you can yeah, talk about Mother. I mean. Um, I don't know. I don't much care for the mother. I think the mother. They're just. The, <laughs> Sorry, it's, is... it's like there. There's always some moment, soon, like right, at the end Florian of the wrestler. Zella. Sorry. Where people become like less than people, like they become iconic figures, and they're in these like heightened situations, and you lose a sense of the complexity of it. Like, uh, that's how I feel about the end of The Wrestler. That's how I feel about, uh, like, the end, a lot of the different characters' endings in Requiem for a Dream. And then also, like, you know, Black Swan. There's no perspective on Black Swan. I think that that's what's really frustrating about a lot of these movies, because I don't think his questions are very difficult once you remember that there are other people in the world who aren't fucked up. Yeah. You know, like if you just brought someone else in, the conflict would be that much more. I feel like, yeah, cause, potent to cause me. I feel like the whale, like very obviously, the whole like dramatic crux around it is like, is Brennan Fraser like worthy of love? And to me, it's like me, like of course he is. <laughs> like, why is this like? And I know it's like coming from self-loathing, but it's even like. I don't know. It's like, I just wish it was a movie about like Hong Chow and him hanging out, even if he did have to be in a fat suit. I don't really. His his daughter's terrible. His ex wife is terrible, and the missionary is terrible. And I don't like any of these people. So it's like I don't really care if he gets redemption in their eyes because he already has. He doesn't need redemption in Hong Chow's eyes. So it's like this movie is already resolved to me. Like when I come into it, <laughs> which is fine yeah. if it would want to just be a hangout movie between Hong Chow and Brendan Fraser, but it's not. But Caleb, were you gonna say something about Brendan Fraser or the whale or Nah, we good. Alright. Well, let me just say I will probably not watch a Brendan Fraser movie again until I guess there'll be a s I will get to a seventeenth one with Killers of the Blood Moon. So when that comes out, whenever it does. Caleb, do you have anything cool in your life going on? I don't know, man, because I, I just kind of went into the world of Brendan Fraser and the Whale for uh, a while and it's <laughs> yeah, kind of hard to remember everything before in, that <laughs> yeah um no i i mean i don't know i don't know how much i i i have this kind of superstition where the more i talk about like creative projects the less likely i am to do them um but you know i've, I've been working on a comic which is Ooh. a type mm. of writing that i haven't done before so it's it's the bonus challenge of trying to figure out the uh, story I'm writing and figure out the format in which I'm writing. So that's been like really fun and rewarding. But other than that, you know, just do you have an artist just, for the comic? Uh, you don't have to say their name. Do you have an artist already lined up or working with? No, no. My goal, my goal with this is to write a comic book that I can give to an artist, mm. like I can have in the hands of an artist. But I'm not worrying about the feasibility of getting an artist because that is, you know, th- that is its own challenge to worry about after I've completed the story. Could you elaborate on some discoveries you've made? Oh, yes. Yes, please. Sorry. <laughs> Writing the comic. Yeah. So, like, part of it is, 
so it's it's close-ish to screenwriting, which is over the past couple of years what I've done the most. But there is like it's more directed because with screenwriting, a bunch of people are gonna touch the script, like the actors, the director, the cinematographer, like just about everyone involved is gonna touch the script in some way. This is a much more focused thing where you're gonna have your artist, you're gonna have your editor, your maybe your colors will read it and then obviously the letter will need it for the dialogue but it's really just you talking to the artist so that's been you can infuse a little bit more personality into it so that's been really interesting the biggest challenge is figuring out and this is where having an artist would be helpful um figuring out like how to pace page pages and stuff uh because i i feel like one of the first things you learn with a screenplay is it's a page a minute and that makes it pretty easy to pace your movie because all you have to do is count your pages but this Mm -hmm. you're breaking it both up into pages and then panels which and then the panels can have either dialogue or narration which affect the pace differently so it's it's been fun to figure that out and like to sketch out it's like oh could this page layout work and could this one work while also keeping in mind once I have an artist like all this stuff is probably going to get thrown out because they'll have a better idea of how to pace things are you proceeding from people that you know have influenced you or are you kind of like well let me read about the format but then I'll just go off on my own and figure it out I've got I've got a couple of books I'm reading um there's a book called systems of comics which is a uh, by some French author um and it very much is about like the breaking down it into like symbols and um symbols and aesthetic more so than the narration part and then i have compiled a couple scripts that uh from different writers who i like like cullen bunn and size barrier um neil gaiman and so i'm reading through those and then referencing the final product uh the one i keep going back to is the first issue of six gun uh, by Cullen Bunn. It's it's really interesting to like read through the page and then flip through the comic and see how that those two interact. I feel like when I'm writing a play or I'm writing a screenplay, I have to keep in mind that it has to work during the reading, it, and it really depends a lot on the kind of actors that you're writing for. They really influence the thing you come up with. So have you encountered any of that? You mentioned you wanted to write for the artist, but you say you're writing this now without an artist so much. Are you? Do you still have that in the back of your mind? Yeah, I think so. I, I it's, it's approaching it with like a, in my mind, a type of humility. Like it, humility might be like too self-aggrandizing of a word. I guess just a more grounded sense of this will not be its final form. This will not be how you touch it. Cause one of my problems I had writing screenplays in college was that they weren't producible because I was writing and I always wanted to write genre stuff. So I was writing fantasy Western stuff like that and just stuff that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't finance and I couldn't direct. So I never really worried about the feasibility and I think that distanced me a little bit from like you were talking like from actors and other creatives. I think writing a comic has challenged that a little. That's really cool. Can we know about the genre of what you're doing? Yes. Um, I, I Here's the thing. My, my superstition ends where like publicly. So I can tell you all about it after we're done mm-hmm. recording. I'll say okay. it is. That's all. 
it, it has themes of mythology in it because I studied mythology in college. Um, and so it, it plays kind of into fantasy. Is it called um, a funnier thing happened on the way to the forum? It is not. Um, Come on, man. That's, that title's available. <laughs> Honestly, no used what? Here's, here's, here's the thing. It wouldn't be harder to make a funnier thing happened on the way to the forum because... Ooh. Hey, Stephen Sondheim, rest in peace. Yeah, him and his three songs that are in that movie. Holy cow. Look. It's it's better than boys from Syracuse. I didn't even hate the movie. It's better than it's better than the boys from Syracuse. Oh yeah, no, the boys from Syracuse is a terrible. I want to go back, go back to dear old Syracuse. The best part of funny uh, a funny thing happened all the way to the forum is the opening song, which is definitely the most Sondheim it gets, and it got me in like such a good mood. Is that movie before then, or after West Side Story? Uh I think that was the thing he wrote right after the movie is. I'm almost certainly the movie is after it. Okay. That's so weird. I feel like West Side... I mean, it's because they're very different genres, but West Side Story feels so much more, like, timeless to me. And that's just so 60s. Yeah, so West Side Story was 61. Funny Thing was 66. Hmm. It was also Richard Lester directing Funny Thing. I know, he, yeah, yeah. And he's um he's a Willy Wonka guy, right? Uh, He is the Superman 3 guy. Oh, I thought he was Willy Wonka. Guy. He's the Hard Day's Night guy. What are y'all talking about? Didn't he also do Willy Wonka? Also, I don't think he did Willy Wonka. I, I, I thought he did I because the reason out. why is because I remember at the oh time, I remember at the time being like, these film, this movie is shot. Some of these numbers exactly like the Oompa Loompa numbers are shot. No, wait, Willy Wonka was wasn't that Mel Stewart? I'm not looking it up. Isn't it Mel Stewart? It'd be really impressive if I get well, this one off my head. 1971, Willy Wonka. Yes, it was Mel Stewart. Wow. Cool, Caleb. Thank you. I thank you for sharing yeah. that. I I kind of do feel that. I share that um, superstition. So, Meanwhile, I'm glad to hear about the process, but I know what you, you mean. You can read the outline to me and Sarah's play, one that we've been working on for five years. It's available readily on the internet for everyone. I'm very excited because I heard about this play about five years ago, and I haven't heard anything about it Well, since. we've been back at work on it. We will hopefully, well, well, I guess I can't say this publicly because I don't have that superstition. It's the, thing, the hope is that we get to have a reading like we did for Maria Kent by April. I will say we both think the play needs a lot of rewrites because of certain things that have happened in politics since we've started it. But there are such big rewrites to the point where it's like we should just have this reading and tell everyone we're aware of some political blind spots this might have. But also just do the reading so that way we feel like we've accomplished something and then we can continue working on it. To put some meat on that superstition, because I do think there's something to it. I think every second you you spend telling friends about your half-finished screenplay is time you're not spending pitching a finished screenplay to an executive who'll give you money that's that's basically it because i really enjoy talking about unfinished things but i do think there's something to like and i also hear about your process caleb as someone i respect but i know what you mean so i want to acknowledge that while also i want to hear about what you're up to yeah well so. and it it is good to talk about it especially with like people who you know have have read the stuff I've written in the past too because they can they can definitely bring some insights that I might not have I wanted to oh no, sorry I, I had a thing I, I wanted to bring in for my week I was hmm? literally gonna say Mark what's going on with you so there you go <laughs> I think if anyone wants to be scared silly Aha! I recommend Skinamarink it's a spooky movie um it is a spooky movie, and Caleb, you haven't seen it, right? 
Not yet. He needs to. Okay. Is this still uh, playing by well, you? Is this still is actually because I don't know if it's still playing here. I did see I thought, that Babylon I got pulled. You, I thought I texted you about it. It it's still playing, but they moved it back even further. Um, so the reason I'm not seeing it is that it's like at nine o'clock at night, which is just a little too late for my old man. Just go on Saturday. Mind. Hey, wait, wait, yeah, hold, on, now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can now I call it's you? Been bumped to like, can I call you out for a second here on Mike? It's too yeah, late sure. for you to see a hour and thirty minute movie at nine thirty at night. But our D and D sessions have been going to eleven fifteen p.m. these last few weeks. You yeah, can't well, go see first a off, movie. You can. First put off, in time to spend time with friends. Yeah. Okay. First off, completely different circumstances. My mind has to be much more active when I'm DMing you, especially you. Um, <laughs> it's true because I'm my mind is not fully there. <laughs> but also, we've been wrapping up an arc that I've been like, we're wrapping up some pretty big things in a in an arc that's been going on for way too long. So yeah, I've I, I've indulged us a little bit in our in our. I'm run just time, saying. You're but, saying I have to go to. You're going. I have to go to bed early, and it's like well. We, 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 I go to bed late playing these games with you, so that's all. That's all. Sorry, I just wanted. To- also, the 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 travel from where I play D anD D to my bed is a minute. The travel from the bell court to where I sleep is a little bit longer. Yeah, it is not that close. I definitely feel that. I got back at like midnight after just kind of happening on this thing at like ten. Where'd you or see something. it? Did you see that on AMC or um somewhere else? I know it's playing the AMCs. No, I actually made a point of seeing it at the IFC. Oh, cool. Because I, yeah, I don't want to talk about spoilers, but this is... I think it's um, a hard movie to spoil. Well, I mean, I think maybe. You can, I think you can talk about certain know. iconography that pops up during it, and that would be a spoiler. But otherwise, it's just kind yeah. of, it's very much a vibe horror movie. I really liked it. Well, I kind of. I think I that's, it. yeah. Well, honestly, I think that's kind of a spoiler, because for me going in... I thought that it was going to be much more experimental than it was, and, like, the second half is a little more like that. The first half is much more conventional than I thought. But, this is kind of, well, this is kind of what I messaged you, but I just wanted to say this, and I think this is spoiler-free. Like, I have an itch for a certain kind of horror film, which is just scary, like, I think a lot of things are, like, conceptually scary, and that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Um, especially because that bar has been set for me by other films that are so extreme, a lot of people don't really talk about them. Um, but seeing this film, at least the second half, and for most of the second half, it was finally like, this movie gets it, this movie is like, we, you know, the concepts are there, and I actually love the setting of the film, um, but it gets that, like this movie is just going to scare you and you are just going to feel awful for a while um and there's not going to be like there's going to be like no let up and it's just going to like harass you so i just i love that a movie now exists that you know to me anyway seems to have addressed that lack in my life it's like oh we're going to some jungle to get eaten by cannibals how much time do we have to spend watching people walk through the jungle or like stumble onto a barren road it's like no the film is designed so that every single cut is potentially the scariest thing you've ever seen and then it just keeps going from there yeah and then i, I to answer your question earlier i saw it at the ifc center because i wanted to see it 
around. I don't know. I wanted she's to see it like feature in a horror crowd, horror. but it, aren't they still showing RRR? No. <laughs> no. I'm just asking. I, no, I know your RRR take. I'm just asking. Are they still showing RRR there? Is it still going? No, it's not going there anymore. Oh. I don't know when that that that. Uh, they might do a re-showing of it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the discourse stands in RRR right now. People are um, mad. Are saying I it just, got robbed for an Oscar nom, even though it never was submitted to the category. That's where it stands. People are being mad for for no reason. Well, what did? What there's did, other discourse, but what like, did India submit? If something not called well, you've seen RRR, right, Caleb? Yeah. The the political politics are why they didn't submit it. Um, but mm, yeah, uh, that makes sense. But. Um, they submitted the last picture show or cinema. It's not the last picture show because that's obviously a American film. I mean, it's called like the last cinema show or something like that. It's like a cinema paradiso esque riff or empire, or more like an Empire Life or Babylon. I was going to say yeah. I did see that this weekend they pulled all the Babylon show times from Chicago, which kind of made me laugh. That not even like the shitty AMC that plays movies for months um, has it anymore, but. What I was going to say about Skinnerink is that I tell you my my weird story about seeing it. I forget if I told you or not. I think I think you might have held back because I hadn't seen well, it. Well, it's not about the movie. It's about my audience at the movie, which is I saw it at an AMC on opening night because I was like, well, it's playing at the AMC by work. It's got a seven o'clock showtime there, so that's perfect. I can grab some McAllisters beforehand because there's McAllisters there and there's not McAllisters by me, and I can watch this movie. McAllisters was shit because I got my normal French dip sandwich, but it was so fatty I choked on it. So I only ate half mm. of it, and then I bought... Mm. Well, I didn't buy Candy at the Movie Feeder, because I knew this was going to be the type of movie where I didn't want to eat food while I watched it. And then, I gotta say, the um, trailer package at AMC for this movie was really funny, because it's all these movies you know that are never going to play the AMC, but then also Knock at the Cabin and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is thrown in. And this is this was before there was... Did they have Irreversible? No, I mean I can check. I oh, you know I keep track man. of my trailers, so let me let me uh, if you want the full lineup, I can give it to you, and we can see how many of these names you recognize. Uh, no, I mean I honestly probably recognize most of them, but I got a trailer for Irreversible, and I was like, I don't know if I will ever watch that movie again. But like, never seen it. holy cow, it is still out in the world. I've got a trailer for Ennis Men, which is a neon horror movie coming out soon. Oh, I got a hilarious trailer for the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon re-release where it's narrated by someone who acts like you've never heard of this movie before. And it's like, wait, the thing is, it's also like narrated by like, I hate this. It's not like, it's like the type of like woman voice that would do like audio captioning for people who are blind, where it's like experience Ang Lee's classic film starring Chow Yun-Fat, Michelle Yeoh. And like, it, it like reads to you out loud. There's not even cards in this trailer. And there's no dialogue in the trailer because it's trying to trick you into thinking it's an English language film, I think. But anyway, um, then this movie called Bunker, and then I got the Ant-Man trailer, then something called Of an Age, which I think is by Bleecker's... That one I think was by a bigger indie studio. Knock at the Cabin. And then I got a ticket for like a Fathom event of called for an anime called Ticket of Summer, Exit of Goodbyes. And then I got the one movie I recognized, which was RMN, which is also by AFC Films. Because... Um, RMN was at Cannes last year. But my point is, I know none of these movies are going to play the AMC. <laughs> other than Ant-Man and Knock at the Cabin. <laughs> Where I was like, maybe the Neon one will. Because Neon sometimes puts their horror movies kind of wide. But the other ones are like, none of these movies are going to ever be here. Maybe the Fathom event will be here, but it will be a Fathom event. Uh, but what I was going to say about Skin of a Rink was after all those trailers, um, you know, we get our classic Nicole Kidman thing. And as Nicole Kidman begins to talk to us, 
someone walks in the movie theater, like, just at that moment, sits in the very middle of the very first row. <laughs> and it's, it's like me, there's like two people in front of me, two people beside me, and one woman behind me. So it's not a packed feeder, obviously, because no one, this is, I feel like the movie's been doing well and staying around because, like, every showing will have, like, that amount of people compared to, like, some other movies where it's, like, there's one person in there the whole day. But anyway, so the movie starts, he has his phone out, he's just looking for some apps for about five minutes of the movie, and then he puts his phone out, I'm like, okay, thank God, because this was going to be really annoying during this movie, this was on. And then ten minutes later, he just starts snoring, and he's sleeping through this entire movie, when occasionally he wakes up to check his text and goes back to sleep. But the thing is, is the snoring actually makes the movie scarier. So, <laughs> I wasn't really that upset about it. I love unintentional ambiance. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's just being like a casual snoring in the background. Someone makes the scary movie even scarier. So, that was my skin of a story about the weirdo who came in just to sleep at this movie. Um... I guess I shouldn't judge, but also, like, what the heck? Why would you pick this movie of all movies to take the nap at? Yeah, because that's kind of my pitch to people who haven't seen it. I'm not usually a theater guy. I just was seized for whatever reason on this night, and I'm glad I saw it in the theater because they played this movie, like, louder than I would ever listen to it. Yeah, definitely. And that is important, actually. Yeah. Because you get to that point of it's just kind of, like, hurting you. It's great. Um... So, yeah, that's my Skinnamarink tale. Skinnamarink. Everyone should see it. Hey, Caleb. Yeah. Would you like to play a game? Famous line from Skinnamarink. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> well, welcome to... The dread in my voice. Welcome to hell, a.k.a. The letterbox game. Oh yeah, the letterbox game where we try to guess films based on films, based on. Let me redo that. Based movies, 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 movies. We guess them, and letterbox says we might also enjoy. Sorry, we guess the movies based on the films that letterbox said we might also enjoy. So if letterbox recommends Big Hero Six and Megamind in the recommended tab. The movie we might be talking about is Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. I'll start by giving you the first five recommended titles, and after e- each wrong guess, you'll get either more titles or another hint. I leave titles out of the recommended list if they have the same director of the original film or in the same franchise. So, for Spider-Verse, I wouldn't say The Amazing Spider-Man, because it's a Spider-Man movie, and I wouldn't say Rise of the Guardians, because that was directed by Peter Ramsey, who also directed Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Now, what I also like to do when we are doing a movie episode is I like to tell you the movies that you would have got if we were to do Cars. So, for example, if Cars was our. If I was to give you Cars, the five movies I would give you would be Wreck-It Ralph, Turbo, Ralph Breaks the Internet, The Lego Movie, and Ice Age. And I would have removed to get to that Cars Three, Cars Two, and Toy Story because John Lasseter directed Toy Story. So. And then you would have guessed Cars and been right. Yeah. Caleb, can I use your magic? How would you describe this game? This is a game where Danny quizzes his friends on what movies he's seen recently. But Danny sees three movies a day at minimum. <laughs> so, so it's a little bit of a challenge. As I said in our last episode, we have reached a point where we have caught up to a month ago of me watching movies. So all these are movies I've seen in the past month. Since you are guests, we've just sorted it by most popular to least popular. And these are the top three. Usually, the reason I say this is usually with Mark, I just take it from the top ten. So we're slowly removing titles. 
But when we have guests, it's just from the full, like, 35 film list. These are the three most popular movies on there. You ready? Oh, wait. We forgot Absolutely. to ask. Are you competitively playing with Mark or are you using Mark as help? You are an educated uh, I listener. Feel, so. I, feel like, I feel like it's always more fun when people go against Mark. So All right. It also makes the game go a little quicker because I give the hints quicker. All right. So your five films are, for the most popular movie I've seen in the past month, Dune, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Man of Steel, Star Trek Into Darkness, War for the Planet of the Apes. Which Dune? Uh, Denis Villeneuve. Have you done Avatar The Way of Water on the game yet? I don't Good believe question. so. Then you... that will be yeah. my first guess. All right, Mark, what is your mm. first guess? Yeah, that's, uh, well, that was a really good guess. So I feel like uh, I'm just going to guess because I don't remember this happening, but I should guess something different. You did some kind of James Cameron rewatch, and this movie is actually Avatar 1. All right, I will tell you this. Avatar 1 is in the top 25 because the movie is Avatar The Way of Water. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um. Fun fact, at least fun to me. Aquaman only comes in at 10, and you'd think it'd be higher. Yeah. They're very different types of blockbusters, though. Wakanda Forever makes mm-hmm. its first appearance on these lists, too, at number 25, if you're curious. we've been You've been guessing Wakanda Forever for a while, and it never hits the top 25, so I feel like pointing that out, that if you had guessed Wakanda Forever, it would have indeed appeared. Oh. Um, all right, you ready oh. for... What? I, I just... Since Dune has come up, um, y'all did talk in one of your recent episodes about uh, the weirdos who like David Lynch's Dune more than uh, Denis Villeneuve. Oh wait, 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 wait! I'm one of those weirdos. I like David Lynch's Dune. I don't think we worded it like that. I think we, yeah, we think we worded it as if you liked it, not if you liked it more than the new one. Because I don't like the Denis Dune. I fully welcome the idea that I will probably <laughs> like the David Lynch one more. It it comes down. Well, like, it was also part of the dark triad of Dune enjoyers and people who wanted to beat their kids and stuff. That's true. But, like, go, but sorry, go on. It wasn't no. just Dune. The reason I like David Lynch's Dune more, even though Denis Villeneuve's is more of a, like a, I don't know, I guess a closer adaptation or a visual achievement or whatever, is I feel like David Lynch is having to solve a lot of interesting problems that... Denis Villeneuve can more easily solve yeah and so there's just like this unbridled creativity to it you know I I totally get, I get what why you people mean. don't dig it though it's a challenge mm-hmm. all right you guys ready for him too yes that's a yeah. that's a compelling compelling response Caleb just sorry I haven't to, seen any yeah, Dune yeah other than the new one all right all right, all right, all right all right your five films are How to Train Your Dragon 2 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World Bolt, Ryan, the Last Dragon, the Sea Beast. So I'm gonna guess Scooby Doo and the Legend of the Loch Ness Monster. I hate to tell you guys this, neither of those films are in the top twenty-five. So now, because we have a guest, that counts as two guests. So you will get a hint this time, and the hint you get is the year. And I will say that Caleb is in the right direction. It is indeed a 2022 movie. Mark, do you want to guess first since I guessed first last time? Oh, or should I just go for I, it because we're battling? Yeah, I mean, I would love to guess first, but I need more time to think of things that came out in 2022, so I'll give this to you. Well, the only other anime movie that I can think of that came out last year 
that would match up in any way with those other ones is the new Puss in Boots movie. Well, no, I'm not going to put that in your brain because I don't fully remember if on our unreleased current episode, Puss in Boots was an answer. Mm. Mm. But that's a good guess. Um, I mean, I don't know. Did you watch Finding Dory? The classic 2022 movie, Finding Dory? Did I watch? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I watched the- when did that come out? <laughs> I don't think it came out last year. <laughs> Is that your final answer? Yeah, sure. Finding Dory is not a top 25, but it is indeed the 106th greatest film of all time, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Yeehaw. Oh my gosh. Where I removed I feel, Puss in Boots from it, of course. I feel like knowing the year with that particular one really is kind of a nail in the coffin. Because like there were there didn't seem to be as many major... I guess it could have been Strange World. I could have, also, then, been, there I could have also been stuck at work watching Minions, too. You don't know that. Uh, yeah, that's true, but I don't think Minions would... How to Train Your Dragon with Papa for Minions. What I what I do want to say, and normally I say let's just move on, but I want to say what the next five would have been because these are the last three of these are eclectic. So the next five would have been How to Train Your Dragon, Up, The Secret of Nim, The Jungle Book 2016 remake, and then My Little Pony the movie 2017. Huh. And also Shrek Forever After would have been removed. Not Shrek Shrek One and Shrek Two are not in the top twenty five. All right, you ready for the final round? Yes. Mm-hmm. Your five films are Wag the Dog, Iron Sky, By Dawn's Early Life, Canadian Bacon, The Mouse That Roared! Exclamation point. Did you say you're you excluding the Fraser movies? No, I didn't. I don't know what any of these movies is. Are. You don't know Wag the Dog? <gasps> oh my gosh, I messed up! All right. Well, that's a, what. Well, I, no, no. If you guys get to it, I forgot to say what actually the most. The, Wag the dog is the second most popular that qualifies. So I will just say it next time if you guys get to that hint where I give you extra movies. Okay. Okay. I have no idea, so I'm just gonna say Encino Man to burn a guess. Mm, I'm gonna guess the Kentucky Fried movie because I that's on my mind. Encino Man isn't it? It's not. It, I, the one you said might be a... Uh, no, the one you said is not top 25, either. Neither of them are top 25. So now you get the year, which is 1964. Ooh. The Pink Panther? Dr. No? Is I don't know. Neither Dr. No, nor whatever Mark said. What did Mark say again? Don't Google! The I Pink hear you Panther. typing. Don't I, Google the year. I was Google. I was Googling when Dr. No oh, okay. Came <laughs> I was like, don't do the... <laughs> What was your guess, Mark? The Pink Panther. Oh, sorry, that's not here, either. All right, so now you get <laughs> it's okay. five additional movies, um, which is kind of funny because I feel like the one that I had to remove to put in the one I forgot might have actually helped you out a lot, but I had to remove it because I have to put in the one. First, I will say the most popular one, then I'll say the remaining four, then I will say all of them in order the way they should have been in the first place, okay? So your five additional movies are The Death of Stalin, Catch-22, The Sum of All Fears, 1941, the day after. So, in order, your 10 films would have been The Death of Stalin, Wag the Dog, Iron Sky, By Dawn's Early Dive, Light, Canadian Bacon, The Mouse That Roared, Catch-22, The Sum of All Fears, 1941, The Day After. Just based off of Death of Stalin, is it Dr. Strangelove? Um, you know what? I lied also, too. Death of Stalin was supposed to be after Wag the Dog, <laughs> so it was second. <laughs> what is I, Wag I the Dog? 
I'm surprised Dragon you don't like the dog. It's a pretty popular pretty, movie. Yeah, that's uh, I I would just look it up. But yeah, you it's a uh, well, I don't know if I could describe it because I've never seen it. But you look it up and you'd be like, oh yeah, this is a thing. It will say Wag the Dog is I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Danny. It's about something that like the president invades a country to cover up a sex scandal and it came out like right before the clinton sex scandal and that's i'm not sure why about the timeline but that is, is what the movie's about it either came out right before or right after but i think it was I right i think it's before. generally considered like barry levinson's last good movie um if that makes sense wow. like afterwards it kind of it's toys before or after no toys is way before because toys comes out the same year as aladdin um mm-hmm. but yeah it's considered like his last good movie i'm gonna guess white christmas the original bad guess because it's an idea yeah uh, no, no, no. I'm going to guess Danny Kay, the court jester. The court jester is not in the top 25, and for the record, neither is um, that one you said, but Doctor Strange Love is indeed the film. And the movie uh, I removed that yeah. I said, the movie I was going to say next that I had to remove because I forgot Death of Stone was Don't Look Up, which I think would have got you get there pretty easy, too. Mm-hmm. I did remove from this the two filmed versions of failsafe because there was a lawsuit over the book doctors the the author of dr strangelove sued the writer of failsafe for like infringement or plagiarism or hmm. whatever so i was like well because of this i will just cut the two failsafes from here anyway because i feel like failsafe if you guys know what failsafe is i think you would immediately guess dr strangelove but yes this is dr strangelove hmm. doctor doctor give well, me there the you go caleb smokes me in the letterboxd game yeah. A letterbox. I game. feel like, I feel like if there was like a buzzer system, then it may have been a bit fair. I should we implement a buzzer system? I mean, I don't know. I feel like no offense, Caleb. I feel, well, it's not even offense to Caleb. No offense to whoever guess. I feel like Caleb's probably gonna be one of our best guests at this. <laughs> like, like I, mean, I don't think I, our next guest is gonna do well at this at all. Do you? I don't know who's our next Your guest. Brother. <laughs> oh. Yeah, prob- I mean, probably not. Like, he doesn't know what movies you watch. Does your brother follow Danny on Letterboxd? <laughs> no. Like, I think that's the only way I got to Doctor Strangelove, is that I read mm. Danny's review. I, I mean, once we got to the hint that it was a Stanley Kubrick movie, I think you guys would have got it. Yeah. It would be pretty bad if I said well, it was a Stanley Kubrick movie that's related to Death of Stalin. You guessed, like, uh, is it uh, The Shining? <laughs> hey, what about Barry Lyndon? <laughs> oh, man. Barry Lyndon. Barely Lyndon. You know what, y'all? I'm going to be a Pink Panther apologist for a moment. That original movie is amazing. Yeah, I love Steve Martin. Uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you know Mark, you tried. You're like, you're like I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I just, I don't know. You're so dismissive of it. And it's like one of the, I love, I don't know. I, I was dismissive of it because it's nowhere near what we're talking recently. about. Even though I guess it is because Peter Sellers is in it. But. So here we are why we are here today we are here because of cars we're here because of caleb that's right actually we're here because of caleb i oh, always no. forget this part what did i do um, wrong caleb it's not you, you, you it's swept, me forgetting you swept the letterbox game which means now the show's about you welcome to looking for the ocean a caleb journey is this is this one <laughs> yeah, of the, you uh, beat me in the <laughs> is this one of those uh brendan fraser monkey paw uh wishes I think it's sorry. <laughs> you beat me in a I think it's funny he's in a movie about a literal monkey paw wishes and monkey bone because it's just so hard. Because we have like, no, that's a different one. And I was like, oh no, it is, you know, like it's just so confusing. I'm talking about bad Brendan Fraser's right. comedies, but anyway, Caleb, you know what's up here. How did you first encounter Pixar? Yeah, um, we had a VHS uh, of Toy Story two growing up. 
It was like the only real movie in our VHS collection. The rest were Andy Griffith episodes and VeggieTale episodes. So it was probably that. The first one I remember seeing is Finding Nemo uh, when I saw that in theaters. But, you know, Pixar is one of those things that probably every movie between Finding Nemo and Wally, I have like a very firm memory of seeing it for the first time. So why'd you quit on Up? Mm. So after Wally, which Wally or Ratatouille, whichever one came Wally's out later. last. Wally's later. Okay. Um, I I didn't like Wally. And I kind of was going through that phase some kids go through where they feel like they need to grow up and they need to stop liking animated stuff. That lasted exactly the year that Up came out. Because then when Toy Story 3 came out, I saw older people, like older kids and teenagers, getting excited for Toy Story 3. And I was like, oh, wait, I can like animated stuff again. And so, um, yeah, I just, unfortunately, I missed what a lot of people would say is one of the best Pixar movies. Um, I've seen it since, but we'll have an up episode eventually. I'll drop my hot takes lot up when we get there. What's so? Are you still a Pixar fan, Caleb? Yeah, I. I mean, I don't like what uh, the former CEO of Disney did with them. Uh, it's it's just hard for me to get excited for anything that's releasing on Disney Plus. But when I do eventually get around to watching, reminder: he does not want to do an Andor episode. So this is this is the real reason go on sorry <laughs> um but when i did get around to watching like luca and soul uh i think i think there is kind of this weird point in this weird kind of point of transition starting with inside out but i think they're kind of fully making it where pixar is no longer making movies about adults or parents they're starting to make movies about kids with the exception of soul um and i think that's a really interesting place for pixar to go and because they are yeah, they're they're an American animation studio, and American animation is considered solely for kids. Solely, um, I will mm-hmm. say also. Have you seen Turning Red? Oh, I, yes, Turning Red is excellent. Well, good. Yeah, I, am I, I the first guest who's seen it? Maybe not the first. I don't think, but you're you're a rare one. I mean, uh. um, what I was going to say though is you can even view Soul in a perspective of it is about a child because the deuteragonist of that movie is an unborn person who's going to become a child soon and who is very childlike. Yeah. I mean, I know she's voiced by Didi Tina Fey, but like, I'm just yeah, saying, I think the, the movie, I think the movie starts to fall apart a little bit if you try to literalize that too much, but I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I as you heard in our last up, because I know you actually listened, as you heard in our last episode and I was like, well, Soul isn't for children. And I'm like, no, it is. Um, So this is me. I, I always play the heel. That's my job for you to fight. Fight. I think it's a. I think it's a movie kids can enjoy. I just don't know what they'd get out of it. Mm-hmm. Cats. Do you have any other thoughts about? That's an interesting take that I think is right. That it's now movies about children. I mean, so how, how has your relation to it been as you've grown older? But now they're like making movies not for you in air quotes. Well, like I, I'm not a parent yet, so I can appreciate like. Uh, Finding Nemo and Monsters uh, Inc. from like that perspective, but I, you know, it's it's honestly easier for me to sympathize with a with a kid character because I can remember that. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think there's just such a power in telling stories with uh that are meant for children and with a child protagonist. I feel like there's such a freedom and openness to explore concepts there that you don't necessarily 
get with uh, things that are aimed towards teenagers and adults. Um, so it, it's been, I, I think it's just opened up new paths for them. Um, but m- most importantly, you know, a studio needs to reinvent itself. And I think that's what they're doing right now. And they're bringing in, um, they're bringing in new talent. Now, whether they can hold on to that talent is another question, but um, hopefully with uh, shakeups at Disney, they'll start to respect the respect Pixar and what they bring to the table that's unique a little bit more and start giving them theatrical releases again. Elemental mm-hmm. in theaters this yeah, June. Hopefully. I was actually really bummed this weekend because we're recording this on um, January 27th. My hope was this weekend that Bob Iger would use his Bob Igerness to finally give Turning Red a, like, a theatrical run because this would be the weekend to do it because it's Oscar nom weekend. And also, we're recording this at the end of January where there has not been any major new releases in a while beyond... Well, actually, that's not true. This January's been pretty packed. Well, here we are now. A film for adults. Cars. I'm a real Chevrolet yeah. with a large Chevrolet. Your mama drives a Chevrolet. <laughs> How dare you that disrespect Cheryl Crow? <laughs> Slow down. That was the theme from Cars. I do um, have a majority of the Cars soundtrack on my I, on my iPad I growing up. Definitely think we need to talk about this. Who boy? This me movie. too. I was like. Well, Danny, but you just give us a quick... Give us some names and Cars! dates. Cars! A groundbreaking Cars! movie for Pixar in mostly negative ways. This is their first movie that got mixed reviews, even though it still turned out in the 70% range of Rotten Tomatoes. But that's what we qualify... I think mean, it's mixed positive, but mixed reviews. This is Joe Ramp's last film at the studio for reasons we've already stated, but we'll recap that... Joe Ramp sadly passed away during the production of this when he co-directed this film. This is also a film that stars Larry the Cable Guy. And I want to point out on Wikipedia it lists it as Paul Newman's last voice role. With both is weirdly worded because he didn't do a lot of voice roles. And also inaccurate because I checked his filmography and he has like three documentaries he narrated after this. So... <laughs> Oh, well, I'll give them that one. I know well, it, it's also you know. not his last role because you know what he shows up and eventually, here's a hint, we'll cover it next year with Archive Audio, Cars 3. Cars 3. Yeah, boy. But Cars, this is the final film. This picture, actually, this is actually a groundbreaker in a lot of ways. This is the final film John Laster directs. Hopefully ever. Wow. Um, <laughs> hopefully ever. Because after this is right when Disney buys Pixar. Well, actually, no, no, no. I think Disney bought... Yeah, Disney buys Pixar in January 2006. This movie comes out in June 2006. So when they buy Pixar, John Laster is installed as the head of Disney Animation and Pixar Animation. Ergo, he does not have time to make films anymore. Um, but he does finish Cars. He, he pulls it over the finish line. To piss in our cups all around. This film Wahoo. makes money because it is a Pixar movie, but it does not win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. And an upset that goes to Happy Feet. But, yeah. Yes. This also is a groundbreaker for Pixar in the sense that, well, let's be very honest here. Cars has a legacy, not necessarily because of this film or because of its sequels or its spinoffs, but because of its toy line. This is one of the most highest... I don't, I don't have any stats for me, but it is one of consistently like 
one of the top ten franchises in toys sold since this movie's come out, I believe. Mm. That makes the, sense. Although I didn't have any cars toys. This is around the age where I was kind of growing out of having toys of things. I don't think I had any cars toys either, but I definitely remember them being a pretty popular thing. I do wonder if they sold if there have been more Lightning McQueens or Woody's sold over since cars came out. Um because obviously Toy Story is also a franchise that's had a lot of toys. Cars was just perfect for the for the marketing machine. Cars. It's a movie about cars. 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 How did you first watch Cars, Danny? And All also right. Caleb. Here is my tragic backstory about Cars, which is that this movie came out the summer after my fourth grade year. And normally I'd have to look up and do the math to know that, but I know that because in fourth grade, which I talked about actually, I believe in our last episode, right? Or I don't know when I talked about, but whenever I talked about the money thing, um, remember I was like, the time I was like, let's abolish money. That'd be a good thing. And that was like a, a memory from elementary school. That's this year. But at the end of the year, we could do a poster board project presenting anything we wanted. And I presented mine. Actually, I believe this was like in the, like the first half of the year because I believe this was before Disney bought Pixar. I did this presentation and I did mine on Pixar because I believe Pixar was the greatest thing of all time. Spoiler alert, here I am. However many years later, I still think the greatest thing of all time. But I remember being like at the end, it's like Cars is next. And then afterwards is this film about rats that I don't know about, but it's going to be released independently without Disney. Ooh. And I remember like speaking with comments like, because every one of these movies have been good, Cars will also be good. And I remember seeing Cars and thinking that was okay. And that was like one of those moments where you grow up and you realize movies can be just okay. Well, that's not true. Because I, I do know that there are definitely movies, because I watched like everything. There were definitely some kids movies that where I was like, that was okay before Cars. But Cars was the first time it was like a Pixar movie was just okay. I had a weird arc with Cars, but it begins with me seeing it at a uh, on a church field trip and absolutely loving it. It was great. Wonderful movie. I didn't see many movies when I was a kid in theaters, so every time I did, it was kind of an event. Um, and it was the first movie I saw multiple times in theaters because a couple months later, my granddad took me and my siblings to see it at a small re-release theater in Louisville. I miss those so much. They were so nice. Yeah, I, I meant to look to see if this one is still open. but um, I assume COVID would have closed it even if it was still open. You know? Yeah, it, it's mm. in a part of it's in a part of Louisville that had has had a lot of. Uh, I think overhaul, the second run theater so. we went to in college closed recently, and that kind of bummed me out. Oh, the one that was like between yeah, the one where we saw uh, the last flag flying at in its third week of release because it yeah, bombed so that bad that they just moved it there immediately. <laughs> yeah, all all the late release theaters in Nashville have just turned into really bad AMC's. Hmm. Mm. Sad. I miss them. Where am I going to see Babylon without a second-run theater? Come on. Um, but sorry, were you- I don't know if I have a big, like, Back. tale of it, because I don't remember when I first saw it, but I do think it is one of the DVDs that we owned in my house, because I, I definitely, like, watched this movie a lot, but I have no strong memories of it. Watching it again for this episode was just, like, knowing everything that happened but I could not tell you when that information entered my brain. Cars! So, 
Cars. 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 I gotta say. Cars. Cars. I gotta say. For a long time, we've been kind of dancing around this idea of Pixar movies being like Americana. And I feel like this is the movie that like solidifies that in my head. I don't know if you meant this seriously at the end of the last episode, but, the, you know, this may be a take, but this in some ways seems like the most Pixar movie we watched thus far. It's definitely the one where the formula starts to really show. Um, mm-hmm. We always talk about how there is that Pixar formula. But like usually it's like it's executed so well that we're like we can't like we still like this, and we don't really care. And this is like oh, it's there. Do you want my take on cars? Yeah, I want your take on cars. I was not digging the first half of this wash at all. And then I took a shower, and I finished it. And I think this movie works really well at points. I think everything about the deaf, the small town is fantastic. Uh, really well done but the thing is also though I think the last like 30 minutes 20 minutes of it or so whenever like lightning uh, whenever we get to the life could be dreaming we get the very um, the shot I always think about when I think about this movie really is like if someone said think of a random shot up from cars I think of like the shot of like the car shaking her butt at us as she's like going down the streets of life could be dreams um, flow mm-hmm. the the diner car um, I think we should call every if, if Larry the cable guy is in this movie, we should call everyone like Lightning the race car, Paul Newman the doctor car. I think everything from that point yeah, on I is really great, that. honestly. So that to me, I'm left in like, yeah, I guess I'll still give it a three out of five, but like, it's still not my favorite. You think the rest is great? Yeah, I think the final race is really good. Dang, hard disagree. What? I feel like. I feel like the middle is the strongest part. I feel like the last race feels like, oh, well, they have to do it so that you know that they've learned a lesson, but it's pretty ridiculous at that point. Let's put a pin in it because I do want to talk about it more. But Caleb, what are your general thoughts on cars now? Well, (laughs) let me fill you into the middle of this arc where we left off. Um, Loved cars. Uh, as a child, we got the DVD, watched it many times, grew up a little bit. Did you go to the Midnight Show Cars too? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, because there's a kid who, I he was younger. I basically babysat him for free. I somehow got tricked into doing that. But he would come over to my house all the time, and I would like hang out with him and play with him. And he loved watching Cars to the point where I started hating the movie because we watched it so much. And happens a lot. Basically, from that point on, I didn't, I haven't seen it until uh, this week when I watched it for the podcast. And it's a, I, it was kind of a, it was kind of a distant viewing for me. And maybe that's because I was, I was watching it for a podcast. So there's kind of a level of artifice. It's not like I'm discovering it in the wild. But um, I was, I got really interested into the politics of cars. Yes. And how. <laughs> Yeah, um, it makes very good descriptive points, but kind of fails when it needs to make prescriptive points. What What I do want to also say is with cars and with Caleb, and I feel like I should have had the disclaimer in the episode. This is not the first time I've been on a podcast with Caleb talking about a cars movie. This is true. Oh, that's true. I, I I guessed it on his podcast 
way back when the ancient times of 2021 to talk about cars too um but anyway a movie i'm not allowed to watch you're not allowed until to watch we get to the episode i want your raw react i want the live mark reaction of cars too in many ways cars 2 is an achievement I think in cars other is ways film. in other ways it does feel like pixar is being like wait no one liked cars hold my beer i can make a worse movie I think Cars... We'll get to the Cars 2 episode, obviously, but even rewatching this now, I'm still like, mm, Cars 2 knows what it wants to be more, and Cars 2 is a better film for it, personally. But we'll get into all my Cars 2 takes when we get to Cars 2. Yeah, um, Yeah. To, to talk about what you were saying, Caleb, it did feel like watching this as an adult, It like the politics are like screaming at you. And the other thing about this, too, it is, it's not political, I think for like a half second I thought it was but I don't think it is is like the unabashed southernness of this movie is something that I don't think I seek out now in things or it's not something that would get me to a film but I actually really liked it and it was surprising feeling that intense nostalgia uh, for some for aesthetics that I've kind of moved away from to just kind of expand my world and find out more about myself. But there, the familiarity of this film was also something that was like, like overpowering. There is a real, uh, there's a real cognitive dissonance I have with like the South and the aesthetics and like kind of culture of the South. Cause I, I, I live in Tennessee, grew up in Tennessee and you know, I have, I have a lot of issues with, a lot of this stuff in the South, but there is something I find like almost, and I, I didn't like grow up watching NASCAR or anything, but like just seeing it depicted in a movie, even if it's in like a hyper stylized way, like in cars, there is something kind of fun about it. Yeah. And c- comparing it to like the whale, it, it is much more, it is much more sympathetic to people who could very easily be portrayed. Not that way. Like, I feel like Cars really loves NASCAR. It does. Like, it has it has a lot of NASCAR references. Uh, my granddad really liked that when we one sad when we, thing when I, I saw it with him. One sad thing I thought mm-hmm. when I watched it was the Michael Schumacher cameo, because I know he's now, like, can't speak at all because of a brain injury. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. He has this animated movie, but also kind of cool. I don't know. I'm not as knowledgeable on him as I should be to be talking about him right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Is he a racer who had one of the cameos? Yeah. He he plays a character that's listed as Michael Schumacher Ferrari, who indeed in the film introduces himself to Luigi as Hi, I'm Michael Schumacher Ferrari. <laughs> they don't even try with a, a cameo on it. Uh, oh. a, a pun. Well, is he like yeah. a member of the Ferrari family? Like I've so many questions arise when you try to think about the logic of the world of cars. <laughs> cars is a movie. Cars is a lifestyle. Cars is a thing. Sorry, I was looking yeah. up Mark. What I oh okay, never mind. Okay, I was looking up what I texted you. Do you that have I any cancelable takes about cars, Danny? Do I have cancelable takes about cars. Do I have cancelable takes about cars? I have cancelable takes about every one of these movies. Um, let me tell you about cars. Um, maybe, actually, you know what? I think all my takes on cars probably aren't cancelable unless you want to like cancel me in the way it's like, oh man, they're going to take the movie too seriously. Uh. I think it's really interesting how this movie tries to recreate that Toy Story cast chemistry of having a ridiculously huge cast for these cars that live in the town, and yet 
they're all like these racial stereotypes or like like archetypes of like oh it's the cop gotta root for the cop also this movie's weirdly i talked earlier about the butt shot i think this movie's weirdly obsessed with the idea of these cars having private parts like <laughs> it happens constantly we're like oh don't show me that it's like what <laughs> every time every time mater hooks uh lightning like to tow him somewhere like it's it's quite a uh surprise look on lightning's face Mm-hmm. This is the first movie I wish I'd taken notes during, because I wish I had written up every time I thought like about the internal logic of this world. Because there's one point, there's just the Freud line where she he goes, oh, I think Matt goes, thank the manufacturer, and I'm like, okay, so they have an entire religion around who manufactures the cars. Got it. Uh, well, I haven't know, seen cars. Yeah. The first thing that stuck out to me is that this is a segregated world. Like, because all the campers are in the middle of the of the racetrack, which I get that's where, like, people tailgate. But still, like, in this world, when these are sentient beings, like, why do they have to sit in the center while all the cars get to be in, like, the, the proper seats? And then you have the cows. It's like, what distinguishes a car from an animal slash person in this universe? Like, are, are the cars just... If the soul of the car is in the engine, <laughs> and 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 the cow tractors have souls because they have engines, like at what point does a mode of transportation not have a soul? And at what we need point cars for does... to address this? And with the forky character of cars, but it can be forklifty. And well, like obviously, <laughs> this stuff is. Would would make for a terrible movie if it was addressed. I don't want the Disney live action remake where they try to explain it to me. But well, I do think mm. about um in one regard because this this went viral earlier last year where it was like some concept art uh emerged from this canceled car spinoff called Metro that was gonna be about the trains and I'm like the trains also like they they're just stuck on their track and like there's a part where he's like the train the only time you see a train in this movie is when lightning's like running across the the trail the railroad crossing and the train's like get out of the way and it's like can he not stop in time in this train is this train going to die because it cannot get out of the way hmm. um but i also think i, I don't want to yeah. spend too much i mean i do want to talk about this a little bit but i don't want to spend too much time on the logics of cars because the thing is i feel like it's kind of a meme in a sense like an overused meme to be like what about this car's world and the tongues how does this work but, well and Taz and to approach it like as a child would children find it very easy to personify things um especially inanimate objects um because i guess those are the i was about to say like they personify all kinds of things you can really just personify things that aren't people so they personify inanimate objects so like a kid would not care because they would probably just think oh it's fun to imagine a train as a as a person i do think this would be a worse movie if it tried to explain the logic well, yeah, I, I yeah, think... I'm not perturbed by the cars being people. Every time it's you mentioned like the private parts of the cars, I always think of that as like, oh, that's some crazy person, you know. That doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't, it doesn't really cross my mind. Yeah, Roger, it really it's literally is... jokes in the movie. It's like he walks in on, and what I'm thinking in particular is like Doc is doing like the examination on the sheriff, and he goes, oh my god, and it's like. What do you mean? It's just the bottom of a car. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that kind of is like, you know, if you made a movie about, <laughs> it was like, you know, if you made a movie about, like, for example, planes, you would have to say everything in plane terms. 
but I'm thinking more about like we've talked a little bit about puppetry on the show and how everything you know puppetry becomes the language that you're talking in and I think for me just cars become the language of this film I'm just like, all right, See, living things are cars. I, I disagree, Now we're though, going to talk about things. Then we have trees. And the reason I say that is because this is, like, the movie that I think only good dino gets more complaints about it, or in the other Cars movies, but it's like you have these gorgeous backgrounds, and then you have these, like, ridiculously cartoony character models driving through them, and it just feels like a huge... Like, if you just, like the shots where it's just, like, on the racetrack and, like... You know, it's just their wheels. You're like, holy shit, that looks like so... This is, like, the first time I really think, like, entirely Pixar has been like, yeah, I don't think any part of this movie looks, like, bad or dated. Other than, like, the inherent goofiness of these models. But, like, that's character design. That's not the fidelity of what I'm looking at. But then it's like, you know, when Mm. you see the eyes, it's like, oh, yep, this is a cartoon. It's kind of... And that's fine. I'm not. I'm not the type of guy who's like, "Why does look like? Why does the cartoon look like a cartoon?" That's not who I am. But like, it is very like something that happens here. I feel like. Eh, I'm on the meme. I'm on the it's a meme team. <laughs> like, Cars has more stuff going on with it that is more like. I mean, I agree. Comp- complicated and sticks in your shoe than there are cars. I think this movie works way more emotionally than it does whenever it tries to make a joke. I don't think I laughed once while watching this. I think the humor... I think it's pretty funny when Mater comes up... Okay, well, I'll let you finish your thought, but I actually want to push back Well, I just think it's not, it's not funny. It's like, when we get to the stuff about... There's one sequence in this movie I absolutely love. Um, and that's the Our Town sequence. Uh, I think it's very beautifully done. I feel emotion in it. Um, and I know it is very much like, we're trying to do the she loved me scene. Like, that is what the template is following right there. It's like, here's the, here's the girl giving you her backstory and what she wants. And it's a sad song playing. But I think it does tap into more of, like, a general nostalgia for the world. And, like, like a, like a nostalgia we might have for, like, the 50s or, like, the idea of a small town life that is untouched by other things. But then it's like, we cut back to like, Mater cracking a joke about um, butts, or like, talking about uh, you know what, one thing I do want to say about this movie that's very kind of related, but also not, this movie is, I don't know what the name of the song is, but it plays it twice, it plays during the credits, and it plays it during the movie proper, and it's like, that's I'm gonna, you're gonna say the name of the song. It's Route 66. Yeah, and they do the same joke twice, where it's like, they say the names of the towns and it just cuts to the characters showing bumper stickers of the towns and it's like is this is this funny is this just you doing a dance number for me because you're doing it twice so one it's also you only did it twice it's almost in rule of three so i'm confused by this as an idea because mm. it's not obviously I, not yeah, clever it's just them putting the names on the, the screen Unfortunately, I think Mater is one of the funniest Pixar characters. Well, lucky you this year. (laughs) Also, I will agree with you down the road. Just not in this film. I think, I think, I mean, I don't know if I like really laughed at Cars, but I think it's a hilarious line during the second stampede. Maybe it's the only stampede. He comes up and he's like, hey, tell everyone we were smashing mailboxes. (laughs) And then he runs away. See, I don't, that's why I don't like, that's one thing I don't love about the writing of this movie, is I feel like the writing in this movie is very, like, I I took a, I actually recorded a clip that I was going to send you guys, but I never got around to it, 
where it's like Lightning is talking to himself while he's like, it's like an hour into the movie, so everything's been well established at this point. I think it's after the captivity scene, and he's just like on like the tar thing. He goes, "I gotta get back to the piston cup." He's probably schmoozing Dinoco right now. And I'm like, "Oh my god, we get it." And then I know where Luigi pops out of nowhere. He goes, "Pit stop." And it's just like we've already done all this before. Why? Why are we killing doing this right now? And that's why I feel like in general the movie's jokes are they are all like, yes, it's funny that he's like mailbox let's go smash mailbox but it's also the type of joke that could be in anything why isn't this movie more specifically jokes about cars i don't know i i think i don't think mater is particularly a funny character in the sense i'm laughing at him but i do think he is a likable character because i don't think the other characters are really find him funny it's just that's his personality and because they live in this kind of weird utopian small town everyone accepts everyone's differences so like i don't know i think that ingratiates yourself or ingratiated myself towards mater i don't hate I think, mater to be clear i don't hate him i just don't find him funny go on sorry the one part that i did laugh out loud is when mater's introducing himself to lightning because danny that's exactly what your character in D D sounds like every time an npc shows up what do you mean like when i go hiya i'm told it's just hiya it's just Mater is having a completely different conversation than Lightning is, and Mater just either doesn't know or doesn't care. <laughs> That's a good comparison to me. Uh, like my D and D characters, they are usually uh, very clueless and very fun, but they aren't Mater because you know why? Because well, actually, you know what? In a way, it is like Mater because my my D and D characters do make like bizarre sexual advances to like every NPC. As long as it's not, like, in a completely inappropriate, because that's just who the character is. Um, please don't cancel. I guess that's my cancelable take no, no, of it's, this it's, episode. No, no, it's fair. Your characters, your characters are sexually liberated, and you, I, I have NPCs in the game who can adhere to that. Yeah, but um, that's the other thing to me where I don't, like, Nader's, like, he's constantly cracking jokes about Sally and, like, how she's a woman, and I'm just, like... That's kind of where we are with these Pixar movies in general right now. Is like we're at the, still at the point where like these movies are like, hey, there's a girl character and they exist to be the girl, and then there are other side characters who are female, in general. And I could quote a professor of ours from college and point out that all of these cars don't have um, any anatomy. So as far as we know, they are all non-binary characters that we should not put within the gender spectrum. But that's except all. they. Yeah, sorry, I, uh, they except do. they do. I, no, I it's, agree. This is yeah. This is the Transformers question of why why do these robots have like present genders? I'm like, well, I'm not sure why, but these cars do very clearly present genders. I w- like, I don't think you can call them non-binary. That's what I'm saying. Is is just like, look, this movie, we're going to be using cars, but then everything <laughs> else, we're just gonna be saying stuff. That's our pitch. It's cars. You know? It's that's that's what I think. You know, I'm I was okay. kind of like. I agree with you earlier about it, like the memification of this take, but now I'm doubling down. I'm like, I think it gets in the way okay, of everything are, else about cars. They're not cars. If we're cars. like, they're cars. They're not cars because cars don't have tongues. <laughs> and the way the race of the sky is decided is the the inciting incident of this movie is that lightning is an idiot 
And a very obvious... That's the thing, too. The movie lays on so much stuff so thick. He's an idiot because he doesn't want tires. And at this point in his season, he should fucking know. He should go get his tires changed. He's a rookie. This is his first year. It's his his first year, but it's been a whole season. He should know he needs tires to drive. (laughs) That is just a fact of life for cars. But then he wins. he, He manages to tie the race by scooting himself up, by hopping up and down, and then sticking his tongue out. Cars don't have tongues, so you ever gotta go all the way and have them actually tie, or like, I don't know, pay it off at the end and have him like push the king by using his tongue. That's the thing to me, is that this movie's trying so, and the thing is, everything I'm saying right now complaining about this world, I'm going to embrace when we get the Cars 2. But the difference is Cars 2 does not care. This movie is very invested in getting you to care in the drama of it, and I'm like, but it's all based on this dumbass rules <laughs> well, okay but but danny could could there be a version of cars if this had a stronger story and a cast that wasn't all one-dimensional caricatures could this have been a movie that you wouldn't have cared about those things if it had a stronger story if it had a different ensemble see that's such a good question because the thing is i could be like well there's this one that i like but the ones the only one that i like is the one that very much doesn't care and that's why i like it it's hard for me to imagine a version of this story where I do care care about it because, I mean, I, I guess I care about, I care for a certain portion of this movie. A certain portion of the movie, it finally gets me. But then it loses me, kind of, but I find the final act exhilarating enough I can still forgive it for everything. Because I find the stuff with Doc to be moving, it's just when these characters open their mouths, generally, I'm just like, oh my god, just shut up. <laughs> like... With the exception of Paul Newman. You don't like Bonnie Hunt? I mean, it's more the character I don't like. That's why I more mean. It's like... Mm. I think, very specifically, the scene that was all over the trailers, which is a joke that's very weird to put in the trailers, because I don't think kids get it, where it's like, is that a... I don't remember how he actually says it, but it's like, obviously... Yeah, because he doesn't say tramp stamp. He, does, I mean, he doesn't he say tramp stamp, because you can't say tramp stamp in a kid's movie. Um, but... It's very obviously meant to be a tramp stamp, and it's like, the joke is like, oh, this car has a tramp stamp, that's funny, but it's also like, no kid is going to get this as funny. And it's also not funny as an adult. (laughs) That's the thing, too, a lot of the humor is just, what if Jay Leno was a car? What if the car talk guys were a car? That's why I defend Mater's humor, because he makes jokes as a person, and they're more surprising that way. I think that's that's really what I like about Mater is that he can he can stretch that a little further and that I mean that's very important to me it's kind of something we haven't talked about but just in comedy for me it's like I love Mater because he will come out of nowhere with stuff and I think the farther you can stretch something and still get people to like make the connection you know this isn't all of it but that makes things way funnier for me because he says something about like it's the ghost light something you know it's like do you remember that line that he dropped kind of, of in the line. background that scene earlier for the and... future. yeah don't worry you'll be getting more ghost light content yeah pretty soon pretty yeah soon. well i mean i don't i'm saying i don't even want more ghost light well, i would like i would like news. for jokes <laughs> to be just like throwaway things that just kind of came out of nowhere so i'm agreeing with you i don't like a joke where every joke is like, my tires are tired. Oh, well, that's... Unfortunately, that became, like, 0.2% a better joke than I meant it to be. 
because of the repetition. Um, but you know what I mean? It's it's like, you know, darn. It's, it's actually funny now that we're saying this, how much of like car lingo is in our normal day, like speech as humans, because I yeah. can't think of one of these that's not an actual saying. But you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, give my rear bumper a rub or something like that. It's just like replacing a car word. I would rather it just be like nonsense that Mater says. I think I think the the humor that doesn't work for me in this is whenever it tries to do this is something humans do, but it's a car thing. I'm thinking like the uh, the restroom where like the women's line is super long, but the yes. men's line isn't. Like, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> really? Like, like what, you, what you this, talking about there, cars? If if your observational humor wouldn't work if it was people then it's not going to work if it's just cars. Like, the yeah. existence of it being personified cars isn't enough to elevate this joke. Can I also say, to go to the world building again, there was one thing that really stuck out to me on this watch, which is that they say they siphoned lightning's gas so he doesn't escape. So, honestly, all the exaggerated... Because, you know, lightning's designed to be someone that you don't really like in the beginning, so when he's like, they're keeping me captive, you're like, yeah, because you did wrong. And it's good that you're incarcerated and being forced to do this punishment. Good for you. But then it's like, you really start thinking about it, like, dang, like, these cars, like, gas is their food. And they're like, we're making sure he eats only enough so he can stay in town. And it's like, whoa. What? This is legit. There, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I want to respect Mark's wishes to move on to the movie and pass all the logical questions. But this is a question does, about the morals it, it, of the movie. Is it saying no, we should starve prisoners well, to get better no, labor? I, I think. I think that it's not their food in the way that we conceptualize food because they can still go. No, like they, not in this movie. Go. Not in this movie. That comes in two. Not in this movie. Well, yeah, yeah, but in this movie, like he can still talk. He can still operate. He just can't move, which isn't what food does to us. Like food breaks down all our functions if we don't have it. And also when he's having his race with Doc, they say, start your engines. Are their engines not always going? I think there are two states to the cars. I think, I think there's like two different states to the cars. And so I don't think that siphoning his gas is the same as like starving a prisoner. Okay. I'm yeah, not sure if it's ethical, but yes, that's what, I'm pretty sure it's still ethical, even if it is a little different because they do need gas to move. So you're like, they're not starving him; they're just paralyzing him if he doesn't follow their rules. <laughs> and, and right to right to free movement is what people take away when they're incarcerated. Um, yeah. That's so funny. I don't know. All right, all right. I, 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 that just stood out. To, that's something. That's more to me. I want to say that because that was a new observation for me. This watch. I've never had that thought before watching this movie. But mm-hmm. cars. I mean, yeah, I think it. Sorry. I think it stands in for like if they put like if it was a people movie, they would put like chains on his feet, so it'd be hard for him to run. And if he was like some sexy Hollywood stud, that would not be a horrifying image, but. You know, I think at that moment, that's that's just like what that little phrase means, because they are cars. Cars! It's just the cars were. I will say also, this is the first time I've ever seen, like, I remember as like an adult, not an adult, as a child, when I saw this, I definitely had the thought that I did not know what a parking boot was until I saw this movie. Um, yeah, that's the other thing that's really, I don't know, kind of self-indulgent about this, is that 
the story and the humor is clearly aimed at kids, but kids can't drive. And I mean, so, like, that makes sense. So kids love fast cars. That's the that's what I've always said with my Cars Two argument is that Cars Two is the best because it's the one thing that it's the only one of these movies that understands that cars are cool because they are fast. <laughs> and this is a very mm. slow. It's a movie about how you need to take it slower and enjoy the finer things in life. In theory, I don't actually think it is about the latter part of it. I think it's like how you should. I mean, yes, you should slow down, but you should slow down so that way you can actually make relationships with other people, not about, like, enjoying the finer things in life. But cars. What do we want to talk about with cars? Cars. Cars. I mean, the politics, I think, is the most interesting thing to jump into, if y'all yeah. are cool with having that. Yeah. No, this is a podcast do. where we never we talk about politics, that. ever. Um, so what's weird about this in relation to other Pixar movies is that this is like tied in very much to events that happened in the real world um, because the the introduction of the interstate system paired with the post-war economic boom that allowed um, families to The crossover kills bringing this to our context here. What? I'll try not to be as boring as I am on the snub club when I do that. Um, I love that part of the snub club. I love the snub club, and I love this. Please carry on. Um, hey, you know, side note, I'll say it now, even though I might repeat it on our snub club episode, but someone did tell me, I don't remember if it was Mark or someone else, they told, they said they hoped Banshees is their snub club movie, so you can do it a full hour about the Irish Civil War of historic context. <laughs> <laughs> but go on. <laughs> um, but no, these, like, these are very real-world things with the growth of the interstate and with... Um, Obviously, in this world, the the economic impact of being able to buy a car doesn't uh, have an effect because the people are the cars. But that is what contributed to the growth of the interstate and specifically kind of the changing of how we perceive road trip culture. Um, because all these small communities that are cut off from the interstate um, then are kind of economically kneecapped. And I think, you know, we all went to a college town that doesn't have an interstate exit. And I think you could see that there was, there was definitely a, um, a kind of sense of, uh, economic loss going on through that. And also because like the mental hospital that was there had shut down and all this stuff. But, um, it does, it does create this very interesting, like once you are not of immediate economic value, then you're, like right to live and to have community is automatically in jeopardy. And, then and that even ties into the Hudson Hornet stuff. Yeah. We see that with Hudson Hornet. We even see that with lightning because like his immediate value is solely his economic value. That's all his agent cares about. That's all the other race cars care about. And it's building up this like as in-depth as it can for a movie where Larry the Cable Guy plays a tow truck, it's building up this really interesting descriptive element of real-world Americana. And then it takes maybe the most American solution to it, which is a rich guy fixes it. Yeah. Lightning McQueen buys tires from everyone. Lightning McQueen highlights this, uh, this uh, town so more people want to come. It's not but a it, it, systematic it, solution. It's just for the it's, characters in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's very liberal minded. Not liberal mm. in the divide of liberal conservative. Liberal and like liberal and progressive yeah, economics. Yeah. I get you. Um, yeah. No, yeah. That definitely did stand out to me where it's like this movie feels. Well, I always like I always like have that red flag now when I watch something nostalgic. I remember a couple years back when I rewatched the well scenes of I never rewatch a Christmas story all the way through. It just ends up on my TV at home. 
um, at Christmas. And I'm always like, man, I feel like if I sat down and really like watched this movie, I would probably hate it now because it's so much like the good old days for this white family when this movie came out in the 70s. And it's just like, it's all kind of built in there. It's like, look at how nice things were when there were only white people around type of thing. And then, you know, this was very, I think this was, I think this was a couple of years. I think this was like in 2017 or 2016 when I watched it, like right after Trump got elected. And that's where I kind of, I, it's not how I read this movie, but I do think that kind of comes to mind initially a little bit because obviously we all know, well, Mader would have voted for Trump. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he would have, but okay. I don't think he would have voted. I think Larry the Cable would, would Guy would have been one of those Trump, like but... third party people. I think I think Mater Isn't that did just not... what we say about people we don't want to vote for Trump as they would have voted for like Joe Jorgensen or whoever that person was. I think in all honesty, I think Mater um comes into I think Mater well first it wouldn't have been Trump. It would have I think I've made this joke I don't know when I made this joke before. It definitely was it was like way back when. I think it was do- during the election I said he would have voted for Donald Trump because in cars all of them have car punts and uh that, that would have been, and of course, wow, Hillary Clinton. Just be I, <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I did. I just realized that I I needed to fact check myself about Larry the Cable Guy voting for Trump. So I googled it, and the first headline that comes up is Larry the Cable Guy says, "I'm a Trump man." And when I say I'm a Trump man, I mean a Gary Johnson man. Wow, good job. Well, Larry. there you have it, everyone. There you go. There's Larry for you. He's better than Tim Allen. Uh, um, well, great. Yeah, I love talking about things that people said one time. And I'm not actually talking about Larry the Cable Guy. I'm talking about like every director that I've ever read a bio of who had something political to say. Well, uh, what I great. will say about cars, politically, is that I think... I know you were saying you were saying, and I'm not going off of that. I'm just using the terms liberal and conservative more. I do think it kind of has also this kind of like coastal elites vibe where lightning is obviously like a coastal elite who does not understand like how real people in America do it. And then once he goes there, I don't, I think he still kind of is like, you guys kind of do this, not the way I would do it, but you all clearly like each other. And I think that's nice. Which I do think it's, I think it's a good I think it's good that it doesn't outright say that him being a race car is bad. You know what I mean? It's not like you have to give up being a celebrity to be a good person, which I feel like um, it kind of does hint at with the Sally stuff. I watched this with my girlfriend, and we have a we have kind of a a, a joking tension in our relationship where I like the city and she likes the country because she grew up in a small town and I grew up in a city. Um, and when we got to the part where Sally's talking about her backstory, I'm like, oh yeah, the part where we learned that no one can be happy in a big city. And my girlfriend just kind of like smugly was like, that's right, Caleb. But, um, <laughs> it, it, it's this, once again, this is not, this is going way above where the movie is like actually reaching for. But I think that that concept of you can get a better community in a, in a smaller in like a, in out in the country or in a smaller town comes down to it's not necessarily about the city it's about there have been economic forces that have like driven people away from like community hubs and cultural hubs and stuff like that and it's the same problem that's affecting the small town in a lot of ways but it's just the movie the the movie doesn't want to have that conversation and nor should it it's a movie 
Once About again, cars. Larry the Cable Guy <laughs> plays a tow truck. <laughs> well, I think it's not like it's 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 all there, you know. It's not. I think if it were related somehow to Lightning McQueen's arc, then you could call it the theme or whatever. But I think that's there. I definitely think that the city, at at least by omission, or like the coast, because. It's not exactly a. Yeah, I'm gonna say I've it's actually like you know centralized maybe I've, radiator springs. I don't remember Cars but, three, but I don't think you ever actually see like an original city in the Cars world, like because mm. Cars two is all parodies of cities. So uh, to me, it's not like you know because like in this movie, I feel like Radiator Springs is indeed designed to be like this would be more accessible for cars, you know. And the stadiums in this movie obviously are redesigned to be like this is how it would look like if it had to be accessible for cars. And then Cars two is like, nah, we're just doing Tokyo but we're throwing some cars in there you know and then I don't I don't think Cars 3 I'm I don't think it's ever really addressed what a car city would look like like in the way like say Zootopia addresses like how an animal city would look like mm-hmm. or even well, like a Bugs sorry, Life saying... looks at it you know and I knocked a Bugs Life for being too derivative of actual cities but I think even a Bugs Life, Bugs Life does it better than this does City-wise. Yeah, some some shadows of your bug's life. I hate that the bugs are doing human things takes during this episode. Look. Um, but no, I think I think that's all in this film. And I think, like, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was talking about when I was saying we see the, the calcification. That's not the right word. Congealing? What am I trying to say? One of these words. Cars. But, cars. <laughs> it's, um... It's it's like the solidification of the Pixar aesthetic and themes in some way. It's like it's always going to it's always going to make the good guys part of this like small town or like the family unit versus being part of a big city. Can we talk about? Well, actually, before I completely change subject, I want to jump back to something Caleb was saying earlier, which was about Route Six D Six. The reason I said that awkwardly is because this movie did put that in my head as a child, that we should drive the routes. Because when I was growing up in Indiana, I lived on Route 6, um, which we only really took to go to the movie theater or like to go to church, because it would go through like the remaining towns. But I remember when we went to Cedar Point, um, and I know we went to Cedar Point in 2008, two years after the movie. The reason I know we went to Cedar Point in 2008, because I remember saying, I want to see The Dark Knight, and... We never went to see The Dark Knight because my parents didn't let me see The Dark Knight in theaters. But um, went to Cedar Point. I noticed that by Cedar Point, Route 6 is there too. So I was like, we should just take Route 6 the whole way. And my aunt was like, that is that will add about five hours to your trip if you take Route 6 the whole way compared to the toll road we took. And I was like, huh. And I never made, I don't think I may actually made the connection between like, that's what Cars is actually about. <laughs> to like, what do you mean? It's still Route 6. It'd be really cool. But then I've also, now as an adult, especially when it's like really bad weather, I've taken Route 6 a while to get onto the interstate and it is way longer. You know, if traffic built up in the interstate, yes, Route 6 is faster, but that's the only way it's going to be faster. Oh yeah, like mm. the interstate system is a is a big accomplishment in terms of infrastructure. Um, it's just that there was, there was definitely consequences to it, um, to the smaller routes. Yeah. I mean, but Route 66 was a big route. And look at Radiator Springs yeah. now. It was the mother route. Well, I think Route 66 was actually the sightseeing route. Yeah, like, it was. Like, it was an interstate, but even now Route 66 has been passed by with other things that are faster. Yeah, no, Route 66, like, yeah, it was the mother road. It 
mainly because of how far it stretched. Um, and it kind of holds its place. It's kind of like the one route that people are still concerned about preserving. I believe the whole route is considered a national landmark. Um, yeah, it's historic. I might be wrong about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, but, um, sorry. Yeah. It's just, it's not something that anyone would travel for practical purposes anymore. This is not going to be the um, episode we talk about a road trip because I, I know that we are going to get to it at some point, but I don't want to get into it a lot here. But did we pass by Route 66 on like those crazy, you know how there's like those 90 mile an hour interstates like near Arizona and Colorado and not Colorado because Colorado is in the mountains, but you know what I mean? They're like those 90 mile an hour interstates in Arizona-ish area, Texas. Um, I don't really remember. I feel like that was something that came up, but it just wasn't a big part of our yeah, it was plan. Yeah. Um, so now what I was going to say as a random subject change is let's talk about the actor in this movie who made his grand return a few years afterwards to Pixar. And that is Michael Keaton. What do we think about Michael Keaton in this movie? Uh, really forgettable. I was amazed by how much I did not care about him, and then I looked him up, and it was Michael Keaton. <laughs> that might be my most cancelable take. Well, no, it's not a cancelable. I think this comes out at the time before um, Michael Keaton is big again. And even to- the thing is with Toy Story 3, where he's Ken, it's obviously such like a spotlight role, where even if Michael mm. Keaton wasn't big again yet, everyone was like, oh, Michael Keaton is Ken. That's a funny Ken. Like, because everyone knows who Barbie and Ken are, right? And, like, Barbie is just a voice actor, so the fact they got Michael Keaton for Canada was like, oh, the guy from Batman and Beetlejuice, great. But now Michael Keaton's I just, Michael, I just don't much care again. for him as a, as a voice actor. I think he does a good job, actually, but, like, they could have really gotten somebody with, it's, like, a voice. It's the same problem, I think, uh, that the third Cars movie has with Nathan Fillion, where you have an actor who has, like, presence in the I just wonder we have to talk base. about in Cars 3. <laughs> Sorry, but go on. No, I'm not talking about him. Yeah. Um, but no, it's like a character who, or an actor who has like a fan base and who has like a personality and just, they have kind of a role where they can't do anything with it. Well, to be fair, Nathan Fillion also That's kind of joins the uh, Pixar troop in like the 2010s because he's in Monsters U and I think in everyone as well. But I think his role in Monsters U is more memorable. He's like the leader of the bat, the jocks. Yeah, I like him like, in Monsters like, University. Yeah. yeah. But here it's like, what like Keaton doesn't have anything to do well I was more also like for a cartoon and for I think the thing about this movie that people need to think about when you talk about like Pixar being a letdown is that up until this point even with Bugs Life which I'm not a huge on I think Pixar in general have been making movies for adult parents and kids the kids first but parents as well I think this is the one that like Chick Hicks is so ridiculous and not really funny and it's like this movie also like this was I should have talked this more with the jokes is like it will go you get that dream sequence right with lightning right the beginning and you get two more times which is rule of three great but every time we get it we get the full sequence again and it's like we get it already you know no it's it's cut down each time a little bit and I only I only recognize that because when it gets to the bull it's cut down like severely and I think the bull having the dream sequence almost makes that joke worth it because that's such an absurd thing to see. Sure, but I, I, I but specifically Chick Hicks, it's like 
here's the thing about Ch- it, it's he's so ridiculous as as a premise of I, I hate to be like nitpicking this animated movie but even for an animated movie he is such a ridiculous dumb weak villain to have because his whole thing is he might usurp lightning because he's the longtime second place person and he, this is his last chance to become the winner if lightning comes over comes here because he's old but it's like also he's this apparently longtime racer who is doing this kachinga ripoff thing that everyone likes in the media <laughs> that's the thing it's like what do you what do you mean that like people are like actually falling for this bullshit <laughs> and like at the end where it's like the girls are now for chick kicks it's like why would they be like there's a thing I, i'm sorry that i'm complaining about the jokes in this kids movie but it's just like to me it does not i'm just asking for some internal lot internal logic here no animation is cinema danny shut you up. can't let shut up, up. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, I know what you mean. I would just say that I think if he was a stronger villain, it would have overshadowed the relationship between Lightning and the kind of antagonist who is Doc. So I, mean, I agree be, with you, but like, asshole, I don't know how to fix that problem. But be not like ridiculously lame and un- like well, the thing is the Kachinga thing isn't even funny. It's not. It's not a good joke. <laughs> it's not a good joke, and it's lame. And everyone treats well, it like, oh, it's great. It's like a serious like, threat. It's also like a thing where it sets up it sets up the racing world and then abandons it for the majority of the movie and brings it back. And it's the same with Chet. Like we're we're not really quite sure who this is. Um and maybe if we got a little bit more understanding of like the turnover in the racing world, Chet's Chet would make a little bit more sense. Chick, I don't know. Maybe Chick, I just sorry, went I speed so, racer. Chick Hicks. His name is Chick Hicks. Get it right. Oh, what was I saying? Chet Hats? Chet Chet. Like well, Chet, you betcha from the Fairly Odd Parents. Who is Howdy, I'm Chet Hits. Fairly Odd Parents, which ology, Brennan Fraser. Uh, when did Speed Racer come out? 2008. 2008? We should have gone to so... see that instead of Dark Knight if my parents didn't let me see Dark Knight, but I, I see Speed Racer in theaters. Rip. Man, Speed Racer owes a lot to cars. Speed Racer is better. Well, since we talked about Michael Keaton, let's talk about the voicing in general in this movie. Uh, oh, wow. Uh... That's the thing too. Is like incredible. He made him sound like a parrot. Well, I'm sick. But what I was gonna say is also, and this kind of relates back to Michael Keaton and Larry the Cable Guy and Owen Wilson. Is another complaint I think people had at the time is that this feels like a DreamWorks movie with its type of like references. And I know now people are like, "Well, DreamWorks just made Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, the 106 greatest film of all time." You can't keep holding that over their head that they used to make celebrities and jokes. And yes, I can. Do whatever I want. This is my show. Get out. I think Owen Wilson is very well. I think Owen Wilson is very well cast. I really like Owen Wilson in this. I think he he sells a character who should be completely unlikable. Um, And I don't think that's because I'm a fan of Owen Wilson. I think I'm a fan of Owen Wilson because I watch Cars at a formative age. I think I'm a fan of Owen Wilson because I like Wes Anderson movies. Um, I think, though, also, I would say unlike... Toy Story, where I become more familiar with the actors later on in life, and of course everything up to this point is like, you know, they cast Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter, and they're the big names here, um, or even like Samuel Jackson. I think I just hear Owen Wilson really, like in a recording booth, and that's kind of like he's doing a good job, but it's also like the voice is so distinct, right? Yeah. Other than him, though, there isn't 
like a lot like Cheech Marin's in this and George Carlin's in this not George Carlin who plays Fillmore? George Carlin is yeah it's George okay. Carlin is in this uh, yeah, okay. incredibly um but I don't feel like they're super distracting and they're mixed in with a lot of the other townies who don't have like big voices behind them the only one that I found distracting was Tony Shalhoub just because oh my sworn enemy Tony Shalhoub <laughs> I love Tony Shalhoub I grew up watching Monk but just my because occasionally enemy. his his normal voice would slip through his very uh, over-the-top accent. Tony Shalhoub needs to fight me. And if I win, I get his Tony to give Ethan Slater. That's my... Like his name? Yeah. Hmm. So he would just be Shalhoub? Wait, what did you guys <laughs> think I said? What did you... What did you... You said, you said you wanted to fight Tony Shalhoub and then take his Tony and give it to Ethan Slater. Yeah, I did, but what does that do with his name? That's what I'm confused about. His by. name's Tony. You're taking <laughs> no. his name. <laughs> Wow, I'm really out of it. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we need Tony Even Slater to be Even Slater's full name. Um But yeah, um I need to talk to my dad about that. Side note, I just want this on the record. I think it's really cool how um I texted Mark this. Um the Oscar noms this year, me and my dad saw two of them way before they were famous in twenty eighteen on Broadway. Because Stephanie Hsu was in Spongebob and Austin Butler was in Iceman Cometh. Anyway, I have to tell my dad that. That's all. Um, but yeah. It really is just Owen Wilson, I guess. But it is just... And, and Paul Newman. But the thing with Paul Newman is it's Paul Newman. So I can't be upset about it. At least not now. Maybe, like, say if they made a sequel to this 11 years later and they see Dark Eyed Audio of him about his permission because he's dead. Maybe that would bother me. But, you know, that's that, that, might, that might be a... That's not going to happen. And if it did happen, I don't need to worry about it for at least a year on this podcast. <laughs> Why is Mark laughing? I'm, st- I'm stuck on Shaloub. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. Um, I also think about, I don't know, there's a lot of things in this movie that, you know, stick in your childhood memory. Like, turn right to go left. It's a big thing. But then also, the to bring up the Fairly Odd Parents again... I always conflate it with the two wrongs don't make a right, but three rights make a left, um, which is something I learned from that show, even though I'm pretty sure it predates it. Um, but, yeah. Did you guys ever turn right to go left? Every day. Um, yeah. It's time for me. Is it time to No, it's not wrap time. It up? It's not time to wrap it up. It's time for me to bring up the two things I told you I was going to bring up earlier. Over text, I was like, remind me to bring this up, and then I knew you would forget, so I just checked our old text to see what I said. Okay. The two things were... I wanted to bring up a Twitter account, and I wanted to bring up my flick chart, which I don't know. Have I mentioned flick chart on the show? I think I have. Flick chart no. is how I come up with my letterbox ratings. I think letterbox, I think ratings are so arbitrary, but I also think people who just have letterboxes where they give everything four stars or three and a half stars are lame. So I use flick chart to give me an algorithmically decided grade for my movie. Because man, we could not be more different. <laughs> but the thing that's also fun about flick chart is. They will have these matchups at the bottom where it's like someone uses their website to compare the two movies. And the most recent, ma- the most popular one is Cars vs. Wally, where there's 27 comments. But the most recent one is, well, I will just read you the one comment. Cars is weak, but it is much better crafted than The Whale. It's the most recent comment on the flick chart for Cars is comparing Cars and The Whale. 
At least once a month, Danny will roast me for a rating that I forgot that I gave to a movie because I do it solely off of vibes. Yeah. How can you give Avatar 2 I feel a that. bad grade of 4 out of 5? Let me find this Twitter page. Favorite Twitter page in the last year has been this thing just called Daily Cars Facts, where some of it is like a Daily Cars fact, but then it's like also like very dumb stuff too, where it's like, that's not a fact. Uh, let me find one that was funny. Oh, this wasn't a fact, but the, like I would want them to remake the Kingsman Church scene with Finn McMissile, which I do want them to. I agree. But, oh, here's one. The, in the Cars 2 Oil Rig Escape Lego set, there is a corpse of a dead car with its eyes wide open. This is the only set where you can buy a dead car corpse Lego. <laughs> That's a good Cars fact. Vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom. Oh, or like the mm. picture of the cars in Cars 2 um, going through TSA check and says this implies that there was a 9-11 happened but a car also had to cause it it wasn't just a plane that did it roguely a car had to cause it uh, to Lightning Lightning McQueen points um, it is kind of weird how this starts as a sports movie with like a lot of sports references to things that like just beyond NASCAR like, you know, there's Muhammad Ali le- reference and all that stuff. And then it's not a sports movie, and then all of a sudden it is. Again, that's kind of odd. And then the soundtrack goes hard. I love the soundtrack. I want to talk about the yeah. soundtrack, but I do want to send the one last Cars fact I want to talk about. Then we can completely kill the Cars fact discussion. Um, if you look at the Discord thing, I'm sending now an image that I will read out loud. But this is on the Cars facts, as this is canon that Lightning McQueen said this. And it's a dry erase board that says eat my dust with light lightning McQueen grimacing and the quote is be still and know that I am God be still and know I am God Psalm 4 so is lightning McQueen God or is he just quoting Psalm 4 and then screaming eat my dust the world may never know I do really like the soundtrack it's yeah I'm a big fan of that whole early 2000s sound and all that all right, what's the best song on it? Is it Real Gone? Is it Life is a Highway? Is it Route 66 covered? Is it the um, R-Town Academy Award nominated song? It's R-Town. Yeah, it's R-Town, and then I think the fan favorite is the Kelly Clarkson one. There is no you mean the Sheryl Crow one? Is, Damn, is, is it your... really? <laughs> Why did you put that in my brain? I swear, you said something about Kelly Clarkson... Maybe I was related talking about Jeremy Clarkson and how he should never be in a Cars movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl Crow is really cool. I, I, you know, part of me really wants to give it to Life is a Highway because that song's such a bop. I really like Real Gone, and I don't think people talk about it outside of this movie. Outside of this episode that I keep bringing up it. You know what I did want to say about Life is a Highway that really stood out to me as on our Pixar watch? is that when he drives by the cameo of the birds, they actually play the sound effect of the squeaky birds. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. You didn't notice that, Mark? Oh, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. They're just making all kinds of things. But they're the only... Fun fact, if you freeze it quick enough, which you can't do on Disney+, because Disney+, Plus doesn't have that capability, you'll see that they're the actual birds, which means that these birds survived the car apocalypse, as the Pixar theory, which is stupid and we're never going to actually talk about on this show, says that the Cars movies take place in an apocalyptic world. <laughs> But the bird survived it. Oh, I have heard about that. Yeah. Mm-mm. And now I now I want to be really semantic about the word apocalypse, but I don't want to I don't want to derail the podcast. 
Well, the car god came down. Car and was like, well, the manufacturer came is. down. So now we gotta talk about the score. It's okay. All right, should we move on? <laughs> about the score. Well, I will. I will say this is. I know it was Randy Newman. I hate the Cars score. I think when it comes in, it's so out of place. I like it at the racing at the end. I don't yeah. like it any other time. But when it's the racing at the like track, I think it sounds really cool. It doesn't really sound like Randy Newman's other stuff. It sounds kind of maybe like the Buzz stuff in Toy Story 2. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Is there... Did you want to talk about the ending, Danny? Like, Is there anything that stood I, out with how it's constructed that made it so well, fun for you? First off, I do want to... I'll give the one critique first, which I think it is kind of... It's something that's kind of funny, because I think this is a complaint I give for a lot of recent things, but then people always will come back and be going, like, well, in Star Wars, you don't see Han Solo decide to come back to save Luke. But, because I'm thinking Moana does this too, where it's like, we get this big breakup scene. Well, at least in this one, you get Holly yelling at Doc for being like, you're being dumb, go help him. And then he goes, well, she doesn't say go help him, but then he comes out of nowhere and helps her, helps with everyone and he's just like oh hey i'm here for you and i'm like this is dumb we should have seen you have the realization that cars like cars <laughs> the name of the main character of this movie is cars um that lightning is um <laughs> needs your help we should have actually seen that realization i feel like we don't um i think moana is way worse at this though um but beyond that i think it is well constructed in the sense that everything pays off the way it should the race is really excitingly done you get the satisfyingness of luigi doing the pet stop you get every everything is exactly how it should be and then you get the really like satisfying thing where chick hicks like tries to murder someone in broad daylight to win (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. like lightning stops and saves him and it's like i felt something you know it is very like i don't want to say it's forced but it does very much follow the formula of like this is how we show that he's learned something and like we get doc hudson like giving like the nod of approval um, you know, if Paul Newman hadn't died and he was like 90 years old and so, I don't know how old he died, how old he died, but let's say he was 90 years old, they should have dragged him out for Top Gun Maverick to play John Hamm's role. Cause can you imagine Paul Newman giving the nod at the end of Top Gun Maverick? It would have been very satisfying. Um, also just Paul Newman in general being in a movie and being like, you're out of control, Maverick. <laughs> I feel like that's the type of role he would have been good yeah, at. Yeah, he's like... You're out of control, Maverick. Yeah. I can't do a Paul Newman. I shouldn't dump on John Hamm. He's pretty good in Top Gun Maverick, but also dump on whatever. Um, but I don't know. It's just very emotionally satisfying. We get the dumb chick heck stuff where it's like, he, he, the thing, that's what I was saying earlier. He's just such an idiot. It's like the whole idea was like, why is it would loving me when I try to murder someone on TV? <laughs> and I just, it kind I, you of. Know, it does kind of move me in a way that's weird for... I'm sorry, were you going to say something? Because I'm about to get into like some, like not real shit, but like my backstory. Go for it. Um, I think it does something that I wasn't expecting to look at this movie as, which is I find it really hard in life to get into sports. Um, just always. And people are always like, well, there's a narrative there. The one time I've ever gotten into sports was during a, a week before Donald Trump was elected, and that's when the World Series happened. And, of course, everyone's like, the Cubs... Gotta go make Cubs it. Go. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I kind of mm. do want this to happen, even as someone who doesn't care about baseball, because it's like it would just suck if they lo- like if they made it this far into this game where it's this. Didn't they go to Game Seven, right? Didn't like, 
I don't remember, but it's like they made it this far to win. If they choke now, it's just going to hurt so much. And then they won, and it was just like, this is satisfying, like, narratively to me. But, like, watching this, it's like, I don't even need to be invested, because the king is not a character in this movie. He is, he he's there. But, like, it is very, like, you want to see the person finish their last race. Like, you want to see, um, Lebr- like, LeBron play, his- LeBron's still playing, isn't he? Like, Kobe, when Kobe was, like, retiring. Like, you want to see Kobe Bryant's last, or when Michael Jordan like, I've seen The Last Dance. So Michael Jordan, like, was playing his last game. You want to see him play really well. And I don't know if he did or not. But, like, his, like the last game for the Bulls, where all the team is going to be together. And it's, like, it's just very satisfying. And I kind of get that understanding from this movie. Like, what this kind of means to people, in a sense, with that. Because it's, like, you get, like, this big feeling where it's, like, Lightning was inspired by the King growing up. And it's this kind of beautiful moment where the torch is passed down in a way that neither of them wanted to, but it feels right. And it's something that is like the type of thing you should get in sports movies. That feels good where, mm-hmm. you know, the best sports movies generally, I, maybe it's too much of a generalization because there are plenty of good ones where the team wins. But I think usually like the ones I think of like being truly great sports movies, the person usually loses at the end, but like they get a respect for their opponent or in this case, the king technically beats him, but, like, the king has a respect for him and that he didn't have before. I do like any film that shows the technical side of a sport so you understand what people are seeing if they really under- understand, like, they're really knowledgeable about it. I think the first race does a great job of that, and I, I do feel that about the end. It's nice that you can learn about teamwork, and then that also shows you about, like, oh, you have to do a pit stop in this amount of time, and you have to beat the lap car, and that's why there's this weird like rising tension that drops off and then rises again but yeah i appreciate that you also get the very satisfying moment where he turns right to go left caleb what do you think about the ending no i think it's i think it's a good ending um and and in general i think the the speed that they show these cars going and you're right they they exploit this more in two but it is really fun i and i think I can enjoy, you know, movies like this or Speed Racer or even like a like a Ford v Ferrari more than I could enjoy like actual racing because I've tried to get into Formula One. I think it's funny because... how you said even Ford v Ferrari when I think Ford v Ferrari is by far the well. Okay, it's on the same level as Speed Racer to me. It's <laughs> yeah, I, I was jumping from like crowd pleasing, okay, like, okay, yeah, know, yeah, genre yeah. stuff to a drama, to an actual, yeah, cr- yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But like all of those if you can get into the head of or under the hood of a car, like if you can be like right there, there's like a real visceral excitement that I don't necessarily have when I'm watching the real sport of racing. It's like while racing games are really fun too, but it's like, you never really want to watch a race on TV, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll play burnout takedown or like even I, like, I Grand like watching sports. I like watching Sorry, some I sports. Like, I like, this moment's too good. I have to be as quiet as possible. So that way. I love hockey, but... I'm sorry. I like sports. What's your favorite sport, Mark? <laughs> me? Oh, it doesn't have to be about me. I like watching baseball, and lately I've been around people and I've been watching things that have made me like baseball more. Um, but I also... I watched NASCAR a few times when I was younger, and I don't know. I, I like all of that. It seems it because I, I liked NASCAR because it seemed very technical. 
What do you, What about you? You like hockey? Yeah, hockey is the one that I grab. I wouldn't mind towards. watching hockey. If someone yeah, invited me to a hockey game, I'd go to one. You know. Yeah, unfortunately, the Blackhawks tickets are usually kind of expensive, even though they're bad. Um, but if you ever want to come to down to Nashville, hey, I'll we take won you to a once. Game. Probably at some mm. point in time. I oh, think. oh yeah, I remember when the Blackhawks were good. It's just they haven't had many good seasons back to back. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to turn this into a, a hockey podcast. You know, hockey's hockey has a lot of really fun, um, fast paced action. A cars which is movie. Why I, I appreciate about where it. they become a hockey player. I gotta say, I'm so so many times this episode, I've been tempted to pitch my cars for idea, but I have to save it for cars too, because that's the movie mm-hmm. that I'd be making a sequel to. Um, but should we talk about the ending of this movie? We should talk about John Ratzenberger. Yes. He is special. Why isn't he in Pixar movies anymore? He... <laughs> great, great question. He is I, not I in Pixar know. movies anymore, but he is in the Apple TV Plus original movie, Luck. Uh, okay. <laughs> so he, he I was hoping it was another reason. He picked his team. Uh, I mean, you should... He's a Fox News contributor, John Ratzenberger. So this is, is not it? a surprise. Uh, if you, if you, I mean, it, I get why it'd be a surprise to you. But like, if you look up John Ratzenberger, it's not a surprise at all that this would be where he lies he his last one was onward i think because of a lot of comments he made on fox news in the time of probably during the time of george floyd honestly but even maybe before then they just did not want him in soul but he appears as like they made a character model based off him but then there's no reference to him at all in luca or onward so i think he just left with lassiter too in my mind john ratzenberg is the is one of the guys from cheers who also like who then I discovered was in all the Pixar movies, um, and it, you know it's a shame to have that hallmark of childhood torn down. But you know, no, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of them. We, we get a lot of them in this podcast. Just wait till we yeah. get the Cars three, as we were all children when the Social Network and Lone Ranger came out. I think what? Mark is unaware of the actor will be covering the Cars three, which is kind of exciting in and of itself. It's more exciting about? than anything that character does in Cars three. Who's in Cars three? One of the few celebrities that is canceled, but like for like a very good reason that he will never ever return. <laughs> like he will never. Who's I don't in think social network besides three dudes. This three. is like a really weird version of the letterbox game. <laughs> yeah, I want. I, want, yeah, I definitely want. I want Mark to get it. All right, I'm gonna keep saying. He was. Uh, can social, I give him a hint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, social network okay. and Lone Ranger. Yeah, he was so also. He was also on Kenneth Branagh's oh, boat of canceled yeah, people. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, and uh, yeah, he, he's yeah. never gonna come back. He's he really isn't, which is good. Like definitely, yeah. But we'll have to talk about him when we get to Cars Three. He's the major role. Great. He's the big new character in Cars Three. But man, this, now I'm now I'm thinking about real shit. Well, what, lucky for you. What you were you talking about? What if, what was that? When was that truck talking? Cars. Um, he was saying, he was saying that voice is so good. Oh my gosh! And he's like, they're just being cheap. And this joke blew your mind when you were a kid. But then also, it was a re- this is a really funny joke. Yeah, I'm going it, it through is... a lot of emotions right now because of the revelations <laughs> I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, related to the end of the movie, I never saw the post credit scene for this until uh, the this time around. It's the uh, GPS. The dude who uses is oh, using I've, GPS. I forgot it was there, but I didn't watch it this time I, i've seen it before yes sorry go on you can explain it to the listeners I shouldn't it's just two two characters who show up in radiator springs who are lost um earlier in the film come back and they're still lost and 
it, it just was this really weird thing where they packed so many jokes into the credits that why did they need one more joke that's not very funny at the end? Just yeah. you wait until our Cars 3 episode where I will rant for 30 minutes about the post credit scene of that movie. I do want to ask, we don't need to say anything worth mentioning because we have sucked the bone dry, but we do need to ask before we give our gifts, how does this film contribute to our conception of Pixar? This film is kind of like, everything is kind of branching off of this small town aesthetic with, like you said, like the rich dude just fixes everything and it's this town pop i'm so i'm so tired i'm sorry <laughs> Mark's just die he's like it's done we're done <laughs> um yeah big you know this is formative pixar for me but like big blow to me caring about pixar this seems so like this seems like fundamentally this is what pixar is and everything else is an iteration of this for a while at least hard hard dislike that. to cars not actually dislike because i talked about all the things i liked about it but now you've provoked me i think it's so I'm... funny i think the beginning of this episode i was going after it, and you kept defending it and now you're like nah this sucks <laughs> well no i just it's it's been two hours since i talked about how funny mater was and now we're just like now we're just listing people who have been canceled <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, man, you know, yeah, this this kind of is like the, the thing that gets me about cars and why I loved coming back to it. And I was so happy to revisit all these things. It just but it just reminds me of of people that are not good. Well, and that, that's not even a thing about the movie itself, because I'll probably watch it, you know, maybe in maybe in like six years or something. I'll do another cars watch and I'll like it more just kind of on its own. Well, John Lasseter um, will never have to talk about a movie directed by him again, at least. So well, I'm sure he'll reappear yeah, at some he'll, point. He'll definitely be here, but for a while. But he won't be directing. Um, well, I want then Caleb. I'll we'll ask you, but I'll say mine is. I think to compare this to the last film we covered, weirdly, even though I'm very negative on Cars, I am still more in love with its story structure, even though it is like very screenplay 101 uh, type of structure works so can i be mad at it not really you know what would work better is if we made a cars movie that was a remake of everything ever all at once but you know i, I that's that's not up to me it's up to disney but anyway all this to say is that cars is a better film than corpse bride and i think that's an interesting <laughs> perspective for me to come into where it's like i am positive about this movie just because it is better than the last thing i watched for this show but I still think a lot of it does not work, even though the ending does. And or honestly, it really is just the ending works for me, so I like it now. That's that's really what it is. Is we got all this way, and now we talked about the ending, which you liked, and I just I'm the ending should not be there. You should just end but, with him getting kicked out and dancing with Merv. Cars invented the uh, my least one of my least favorite lines in criticism, which it's good, but not for a Pixar movie, um, which mm. I think is kind of a thought terminating cliche because you're just holding something up on a pedestal and you're refusing to engage with it as a singular piece of art. You're just kind of being like, we don't need to talk about this. Um, so I, I definitely think it was a, it was kind of the first big hit to Pixar that would eventually lead to a lot of people being disillusioned with it. Even though I think we would all agree that they're still putting out some good stuff 
today. Well, also, though, to be fair, this is a fluke. The next four Pixar movies after this are, like, all considered, like, great, too. Like, at the time, yeah, but, this is just a fluke. But. Yeah, but then they then they hit it with Cars 2, and it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> this is becoming more and more shame. commercial. That's such a great movie, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. We'll get to it. We'll get to Cars 2 this year. I'm so excited for Cars 2. As someone who's already recorded a podcast about Cars 2 once in his life, I'm ready to do it again. All right. So, Mark, do you want to give the spiel, or should I try to give it? Yeah, I can give this spiel. All right. So, end of every episode, a lot of people like to give films ratings. We are not about that. We like to give films physical objects, something strange, something that is evocative of the film, or you think the film would need. What is a physical object the film would need? Something like that. Just not a regular star rating. The more unhinged, the better. Now, I know that you've heard a few episodes, so I don't, you know, I, I could just let you go for it um do you feel yeah do you feel up to it or do you just you want to go the the normal way is we give ours first but you may have had something yeah no i i I kind of panicked because i forgot we were doing this until like about half an hour ago and i thought that's when we were (laughs) wrapping up and then we kept going so i've had plenty of time to think about it um i'm gonna give it my old license plate tennessee last year changed up all the license plates and so i this has been seen by my desk for a year but it's it's something that's old which this movie really likes it's something that's related to cars which this movie likes and uh it's something that i don't need much like i don't need cars in my life but you do need cars too wow um what i will give it is my intention is i'm gonna go take my car drive it to walmart and then I'm going to look around, and then I'm going to walk across the street to Dollar General, because Walmart will be too pricey for what I want to buy. And what I'm going to buy is a just a set of Solo Cups, and then give it to Cars, because it's just a bunch of empty cups. You did what in your cup? <laughs> you did. The classic line. Well, Danny, you were talking about the website Flickchart earlier, yes. which algorithmically assigns movie ratings. <laughs> So I just pull up the cars page and I'm going to give it the flick charts 4.5 rating. Great. Great. I don't know what I don't know what like out of what scale that is if it's out of 10 if it's out of 5. I don't want to know either. It's funnier either way. Well, it's funny too because if I go, it it doesn't actually like show up on the page. This is just something on like the Google preview of the website. It doesn't account actually to rank show it. me the rating. You have to make an account what? to rank it. You have to make an account to rank your. Yeah, I so I had this thought thirty minutes ago too. So I was like, I don't want to make an account on Flickchart. Just, well, I don't know, whatever other people say. You didn't, mention, you didn't mention the funniest part of Flickchart, which is if you go on there, it shows you users who have listed it as their number one film, and then as like top ten. Yeah, and does. then it also has a list of users who have never seen Cars. Really? Where's that? I don't see that list. Well, I don't know, just, you just go on there and check it out Um, Cars has so many rankings (laughs) yeah we should say for the record Cars has apparently 226 people on this website who have listed it as the number one film of all time (laughs) that is worth mentioning I have so much respect for that yeah and if you just click on that page it says users that haven't seen Cars I don't want to dox them but 
So the anyway. other recent one is Spirited versus Cards, which says Spirited was fine, but Cards easily gets my vote. Oh yeah, and can't they like fight each other on this website? Yeah, there's like a 20 thread comment on Cars versus Toy Story 2, which makes me think someone said Cars was better, <laughs> and at one point and it just got tense. But, well, uh, Caleb, this was a good episode, and <laughs> thank you for coming on here. You've been you've been a great guest. Yeah, we um, love you, Club. Maybe thank we should you, do a podcast you. sometime. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, yes. I'm glad that I could bring something to the Cars episode. Cars! You really did. You brought quite a bit. Um, you got it in the driver's seat. Do you want to just do a quick replug before we say what we're doing next time? Yeah. Hey, guys. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. And from there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, uh, Star Wars Therapy, All New 52, which is the one about comics, and the one I do with Danny, The Snub Club. Yeah! Um, and former guest Sarah Knopf, because we love her. Yes. Um, actually, mm-hmm. uh she is her horror her femtober episode is probably my favorite episode y'all have done yeah it's a good buddy. episode N- what N- that has not gotten the attention it deserves well, but everyone go check out the femtober episode because danny keeps pushing the one that's has stuck in the title i don't push it it's the one that's the number one listen to one also might i point I out i thought that was because you recommended it to people no you're wrong <laughs> Call me the whale because I'm blowing everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it that vague because who knows? Who knows what I'm talking about with that movie? <laughs> um, Danny, what are we doing next time? Yeah, Danny, what do what we? Wait, Caleb, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt your plug? Nah, you're good. All right, what do we do next time, Danny? All right, next time is a historic movie. Because it's a, it's gonna be a big episode. Because for the first time ever, Caleb doesn't know this. Caleb's gonna get mad at us. Caleb's gonna be like, "Stop it! You're messing with your formula. It's gonna fucking suck." He's gonna yell at us, but we don't care because he's a listener now. He's not a guest anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to do two shorts at once. We are going to do Lifted, which is the short that is attached to Ratatouille, and we're going to do Mater in the Ghost Light, which is the short that is on. The DVD for Cars. We're just gonna do it in one episode. Who cares? You you can't you can't make us change your mind. Sorry. How are we? We're doing we're doing Lifted, but it comes out before Surf's Up. Because it showed at a film festival. Also, it didn't oh, maybe yeah. Mark, but you told me to combine the short episodes, and so well, if Surf's Up was there, I would have combined it with Mater and the Ghost Line. I mean, if okay, no, that's probably fine because you. I hope I. Th- you probably just like scrunched them together, which is what I thought we should do. But I did not know that it was related to Ratatouille. But it did come out at a film festival, so I'm wrong about everything. Do 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 so, do do. I guess you could say yes. that you're real. Oh, and we gone. have a we have a very big episode in two episodes. I see. I'm not going to reveal that. Yeah, it's your brother. No, no, no. That's three episodes. Oh, all right. We have a big episode coming I'm out excited. in about. Uh, let me count. Two, four, six. Seven episodes, so in seven weeks, get hyped. It's our best episode yet coming out in seven weeks. Yeah. Hey, Caleb, can you use your magic and write us an ending? Hey, guys, we may not have found it this time, but you can join us next time when we look for the ocean. Cars! Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. 
If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.